There's chaos in Canada for the Frontier League, and we finish our Build a Team series this week here on the IndyMall Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 111 of the IndyBot Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We have a lot of baseball to discuss this week because as kind of tradition around here, the news of, you know, really substantial proportions always comes out either right after we record or right after the show comes up. And this past week, we got back to doing that with, you know, the Frontier League design we're going to drop big news on a Saturday night because why not? Yeah, it was a weird... You never hear of the Saturday night news dump. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not something that's that's really commonplace, but at least... So it went from dropping big news after the show records to just no news at all to now back to dropping news after, after the show. So you know what? At least we have news to talk about, though. So you know what? I'll take it. Exactly. You know, like beggars can't be choosers. And if this is what we wind up with, at least we're getting news to talk about. And the fun thing is, we're less than a month away from actual independent league baseball being played. Granted, it's out in the American Association, and I have no idea if they've raised the price of that AA baseball TV, because I heard a rumor that that's going to be like $10 a month now, which if that's the case, I'm just going to cancel my subscription because I'm not paying like $60 for it. But if it's still 20 for the year, you know, that's good. Get to watch baseball. And if not, then uh, it's only like another week until both the Atlantic League and the Frontier League get started. So we only have a handful more of these shows where we have to grasp for topics and then we can get to, uh, you know, doing like reviews or previews of the teams. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's really exciting, especially with, I mean, especially with last year, of course, we had, I mean, it literally became the American Association podcast. Uh, I yeah. mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but like in, in that two month window in the summer, it literally became the Indie Ball Report and what happened in the American Association this week. The, this week, let's talk about it. Yep. So, uh, definitely have more to talk about uh, once games start to get underway here, which not not too far away. Like you mentioned, about three weeks away uh, until stuff gets going in the American Association, which will, will be really interesting to keep an eye on, but. I'm just I'm just excited for, and then hopefully in the Northeast, you know, uh, mm. once we start heading heading toward Memorial Day, and we can we can get some action over here. Yep, hopefully, and I'm looking forward to just, you know, having at least a semi-normal like season, or at least having yeah. a different like having different teams to talk about that are like actually going to exist beyond one year. Yeah, like that's yeah, I I I, I agree. I was I I was really tired of talking about the. Uh, this circuit league and that circuit league and this league, I mean, no, no disrespect to the Maverick League, which is, you know, still doing that. Yeah. But uh, I am excited to get back to actual schedules, actual baseball, teams going in, teams going out. Uh, and it, it's going to be exciting because 2019 seems like a long, is a, it seems like worlds ago. And uh, I'm excited to get back to the way the things, uh, to what, the way things, Mostly were, but as I'm sure we'll get into fairly soon here in the Frontier League, uh, I guess completely normal is not going to be the case for them quite yet. Yeah, and on that note, we'll dive uh, in on that because it was announced on Saturday night that the Frontier League 
is going to make some changes to their 2021 season. And I will say, we were talking just a second ago about how odd it is to get a news dump on a weekend. The reason yeah. was, at least that was stated in the press release when I, when I got that email, was it was starting to leak out that this is what was going to happen, so they wanted to try and get in front of it before it really kind of spilled out, and hence why it wound up being sent out at about 7.30 on a Saturday night. Uh, is that the three Canadian teams are going to be kind of merged into one province of Quebec team. Now, what exactly does that mean? Now, it doesn't mean that neither the Capitals or the Eagles or the Titans are playing, because technically speaking, the Capitals are not taking the year off. The province of Quebec team is kind of like a morphed version of the Capitals. That said... The Titans and the Eagles are not going to play. They are kind of packing in on 21. Uh, you could read the what they said on the Frontier League website. That's linked in the show notes, as is everything. And essentially, it came down to it was a tough decision, but it's a financially necessary one to secure, you know, our place in the league going forward. It just would not be viable to play because the COVID situation in Canada is far worse than it is in the U.S., at least at the moment, in regards to vaccines and things like that. So it just wouldn't make it viable for them to host games, particularly Ottawa, seeing as I believe Ontario entered another lockdown or something similar to that, where things are very restricted there. So the odds of them being able to play are just very slim. Supposedly, the other option was to delay the start of their season, but it came down to, look, you could delay it a week or two weeks. Uh, the difference between the last week of May and the first or second week of June isn't going to make any sort of uh, a change in what we'll be able to do. So uh, instead, they kind of folded into, well, one team. The team will use the Eagles and the Capitals resources and be managed by the Capitals manager, uh, Pat Scalabrini who's, you know, one of the better managers in independent league baseball, certainly has helped uh, Quebec to be, without a doubt, the most successful team in the history of the Can-Am League and really any league that they've been a part of. Uh, they've just been here dominant. I believe they won something like five ch league championships in a row. It was just unbelievable how good that team was for a stretch. And I mean, they still are a very good team. 2019 was like their first down year in half a decade. So, I mean, that that says a lot, especially on the uh, indie ball level. But uh, before we start really getting into it, I guess let's just kind of get your thoughts on what you think about the whole announcement, the whole news. So, Nick, since the start of the pandemic, uh, I feel that these leagues, and that's not this is not just limited to in indie ball. I think we've seen it at the major professional sports as well. Mm -hmm. um, even 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 hockey included, I guess. Uh, although the circumstances there are a little bit different, it's this assumption that oh, like we're we're going to be doing well once Ca Canada's border will, will be open by then. Yeah. Here's the reality: the Canada's border is not opening until until everyone reaches herd immunity. You mentioned that Canada um, at this point, the virus situation is not great over there. They're entering lockdowns. It's not feasible to play games there because not only i mean not only are they not letting people travel in and out you think they're going to let like any people go to games right now you think they're going to let them any, exactly. at any capacity we're talking about i mean long island's out here saying that they 
they they're they can't play under 15 percent i mean canada would not even think about letting um three rivers and uh, they would not even think about letting three rivers in ottawa host any games at this point in time so i think it was really the only decision i mean they talked about it as a tough decision it's really the only decision you could you could have delayed it a couple weeks if you wanted to it's not going to change it right it's not exactly. going to change it and uh and this this traveling team though I, i'm kind of excited for it i think there's i believe dalton pompey signed there yeah. uh the other day to give them to give them a nice former major league name mm. uh, out there as well so I think it's an unfortunate situation for those guys, and now they're essentially resorting to a travel team. Of course, there's that caveat in there that, hey, if the border's not opened by June, July, whatever, um, they'll just be on the road for the rest of the year. I would be shocked. I, I, would, I would definitely be shocked if uh, Quebec is able to return home at any point this season to play in front of a crowd. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, and so it, it's an unfortunate situation for them. Uh, if anybody can handle it though, and still be competitive and be a traveling team that's actually competitive, I think Quebec could be it, uh, just because of how well they're run. They've been run that way for a long time, not saying they're playoff team or anything like that, but I, I, I do think it's possible that they could be competitive. Uh, but it's an unfortunate situation, but at the end of the day, the frontier league had no choice. They're not going to delay the season at this point. Uh, it's not. It wouldn't make a difference. And these teams in the U.S. who didn't play last year, they gotta play this year. They absolutely have to play this year. M- missing two years is not an option. I, I I don't really know the whole financial situation of uh, Three Rivers and Ottawa. I guess Ottawa not as much because they had their problems with their lease and their ownership group and whatever. Uh, but I mean. At the end of the day, I'm sure the Frontier League, of course, wants to have all those Canadian teams in. However, they got to make the decision what's best for the league. And undoubtedly, right now, it's it, it, it wasn't the decision they made. So I don't fault the Frontier League at all. It was their only choice uh, at this point. And, you know, hopefully next year we get to see the actual reality uh, that would be a giant, awesome frontier league that's like filled with talent i can't wait for the day that happens i don't know about you nick yeah but uh but i think we kind of knew for a while that it was just not going to happen this year yeah no i'm i'm really looking forward to finally being able to see this league realized as a whole where we get to see this giant like massive 16 team league where for lack of a better phrasing, it's like the first actual real kind of independent league where before it was always kind of 10 and under. And even among them, it was like, okay, well, there are 10 teams here, but there's some that are clearly better than others. And by and large, you have four that are just not competitive. When you start to look over like the roster of really all the 16 teams to that point, None of them were really that terrible. Like, there were some that were clearly better than others. Like, don't get me wrong, sure. but that's going to be the case in any league where you're going to have about a third of the league that's going to be instantly championship contenders day one. And then the rest of the league's going to follow the line from there. Here, there was like, okay, there was like four or five where it's like, okay, these are really good teams. But the other 12 were all very much in contention for saying, oh, no, they're going to be fighting for that final playoff spot or fighting mm-hmm. for the vast majority of the year to be, you know, very competitive. There's not really an easy team in the league. And I'm really looking forward to being able to uh, to get to that point, certainly. 
to kind of build off of what you were saying about, you know, if they're able to play at home, uh, the Quebec provincial team, which is something that's important to note, technically it's not under the Capitals branding. Don't know when we're going to get that whole kind of branding revealed on that to what the Quebec provincial team is going to be, you know, looking like. Supposedly that's over this week. And so either uh, Friday, today or tomorrow. So when you're listening to this, uh, presumably you'll be able to see everything. Uh, we're still waiting on that, though. If they are able to play at home, that would start on July 23rd. The border has to be open by them for them to play roughly 27 games at home. Now, like you were saying, Will, that's not likely. It, at this point, I can't really imagine that exactly three months to the day that they would be playing their first home game, uh, things are going to change that much, you know, that much more. Granted, I mean, it certainly could happen. I mean, look at where we were in January. We're in a vastly better place right now, but uh, the situations are also very different. And I just, it's awfully hard to predict that the situation is going to be to the point where they go, oh, we can meaningfully, you know, bring people into the ballpark to the point where we can make enough money to justify the expense of putting on games. I don't see that happening. I got to agree with you. I'd be a bit shocked to see them actually be able to do that. Hopefully they are, you know, obviously we, you'd like to see them oh, get yeah. some home games in there, but I really do kind of see them being a traveling team for the vast majority of the year. And also making up this team is going to be Canadian players. But yeah. what I don't understand here, and we were talking about this before the show is if only the Canadian players, because non-Canadian players on the three Canadian teams are well, two Canadian teams that really aren't playing. Cause it's kind of like Quebec's just getting morphed into from the, or it's kind of like Quebec's getting morphed from the Capitals to the Provincials this year. It's a kind of weird sub that takes a second to get your head around. The Three River players and the Ottawa players were put into a dispersal draft that we'll talk about in a little bit. Those guys, if you were non-Canadian, you were in that draft. If you were Canadian, though, you got moved to this Quebec Provincial team, and that's going to be what makes up this kind of quasi-traveling team here. And what I don't understand is, the training camp's going to be in New York State. They're going to be playing the whole first half of their year in the United States. And it's looking like they're going to play their full season in the United States. So if they're going to be in the U.S. primarily, why do they need the Canadian players to stay and the U.S. players not to? Why not give the provincial team like first choice at the players across the three Canadian teams so they could build one roster from it and then put the rest of the players in a dispersal draft or say you get 10 players across the two team rosters that are getting dispersed go hog wild and the rest are going to be open up to the league like I don't I don't understand why it was done that way like I don't get why you need to have the Canadian players on this co- like provincial team unless it goes to something where, oh, if they're able to play, having them be Canadian resident makes everything a lot easier. But I that's the only reason I could possibly think of why they'd have to be Canadian on that provincial team. Yeah, Nick, that that's the only that's the only reason that really comes to mind for me. And again, as as I said earlier in the show, I just don't see there being legitimately any possibility. That uh, that they're going to be able to play home games in Canada this year, and and so I agree with you. I think having all Canadian, I think all, having all Canadians on that team doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, at least. 
Um, I do understand it makes it easier if they were uh, were going to go home and play actual home games in Canada. I get all that. But you're playing all games in the U.S. You're having your training camp in the U.S. Why do they need to be Canadian citizens? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I think you could have made a, a pretty uh, a, a solid team, really, out of uh, out of those three Canadian teams that kind of form into even though they are a traveling team, you could make them competitive, maybe even a potential a potential playoff wild card team. I, I think I don't think that's too much of a stretch to say if you're taking the best from uh, three rivers, Ottawa and uh, and Quebec in order to make this happen. Uh, but maybe that's just maybe they're just holding out hope that they can eventually um, move home. I just don't think it's a realistic possibility, and I, I and I understand, I guess, why they're planning for it or hoping for it, but I, I just don't see it happening. And I think it's it's a missed opportunity in a way to make this team like solid at least, solid solid to good. That I would that I would have liked to see them compete even if they were on the road every single night yeah like, like it has to be that it just has to be like well if if they are able to then that'll be the case but what i don't understand is we know how much turnover there is in independent league ball regular yeah. season or not the rosters get turned over a couple times in the season like how many guys would you say normally last the full season like maybe six or seven I, I'd go a little bit higher, like around 10. Okay. Uh, so, so, of course, it depends on the team. Like, the for example, like the Long Island Ducks and the the, the Ducks yeah, and Skeeters in the Atlantic League, you'd probably talk in like three. But yeah. for, for a normal team for the full season, I, I think anywhere from eight to 10 is what you would expect. So, yeah, that, so let, you're right. That That's a thing to watch, too. Yeah. Like, this, this goes to my point. Like, half the roster then is going to be turned over. So are they just going to be able to import players from Canada and be like, okay, we're going to grab someone from Canada to come down to the States and join up with this team. And then like, and what I also don't get is I would assume that if you're going to have these players go from Canada to the U S or U S into Canada, there may be a quarantine of some sort. So -hmm. if there's going to be a quarantine of some sort, then how effective is bringing in another player? Like, if that could be also the reason, I guess, is... But then again, none of that would actually make sense because if the border's open to where they're playing in Canada, then presumably there wouldn't be a quarantine period because it's just not, you know, workable. Right. You right. Know? So. Yeah, and even if... I mean, you would think... I mean, you, you look at at least what the NHL did with a, a, a team, an, Amer- an American team traded to a Canadian team that they were able to negotiate with the Canadian government to get that quarantine down from 14 to, to seven days at the trade deadline, I believe. Correct yeah, me if I'm wrong. About that, yeah. But yeah, I mean, at that point is if the borders are, which really speaks to how unlikely it is that the borders will be open in, in time by like the, the 23rd of July. I just, I just don't see it happening, but yeah, you're right. I think you, you, these Canadian players don't just grow on trees that, uh, that you could bring in and play for you. And especially, I mean, maybe you have guys that are released from the minors and you luck out in that sense, but I don't know. I, I just, it, it's I, hard I, to, I think they'll have some issues. It's just hard to factor it all together. You know, I just, I don't see how that's going to wind up working out, but uh, hopefully it does. And all three teams plan to play like normal in 2022. So I guess in a year's time, we'll get to see the league as it was meant to be. And, uh, 
And so with that, we'll go to that dispersal draft I mentioned just a minute ago and kind of talk about that a little bit. Uh, it was held uh, this past day now, it'll be yesterday while we recorded, but Thursday at 4 o'clock was when it was held. It was streamed live on Facebook, so you could watch that if you want to. It's only like 16 minutes long. It'll be linked in the show notes. It's right on the Frontier League Facebook page if you want to see it. Uh, the order was selected by drawing names out of a cup. Literally, that's how they did it. If the name came out first, then they picked last and so on and so forth in reverse order until there was one name left in the cup. Uh, the Lake Erie Crushers got lucky enough to have the first overall pick. They took Trevor Achenbach, which is not, you know, a terrible pick. He seems like a very solid guy. Definitely will help their infield. But for me, uh, there's two teams that really kind of walked away as winners in this whole kind of the disposal, dispersal, however you want to call it, draft, which would be both the minor teams, Southern Illinois and the Sussex County Miners. I'll start with Southern Illinois because they picked second, and they took a couple of very interesting guys. I'll start with their their first pick, which they took second overall in Gunner Kynes. This dude can straight up ball. He is a hell of a pitcher. And I'm going to pull up the stats now because I didn't write them in my notes, but they are up in the uh, article I am writing that should be up by the time you're listening to this, hopefully at least. If everything goes right, it should be done tonight and then up uh, by tomorrow morning at the latest. And you can find that on the website, IndieBallReport.com. But when you look at this guy's numbers, it's just, he's so ridiculously good. It's It really is kind of surprising that the Crushers didn't take him at one, to be quite honest here, because he really is is something else. He has a, in the total of 350 in the third innings, he has 350 strikeouts. He's striking out a guy in inning. He had an ERA below three, and he walked fewer than 100, allowing only 18 home runs. And it's just, he's just really a dominant pitcher. And that's over the past four years when he was in Schaumburg. And I really, really do like that pick an awful lot. The dude really has just balled out. His only real bad year was kind of the 2020 winter season in Australia for Melbourne. His He posted a career-worst ERA, which was 4.92 over 37 innings. Now, granted, 37 innings as a starter isn't, you know, like the largest sample, but it, it does say something. I personally think it's just kind of a, a one-off because he didn't pitch the summer of 2020, so there's rust there. I really, really, really do like this guy a lot I think he he may be it's weird for me to say but I'd be willing to call him almost like a steal of the draft even though he was taken second overall because I really do believe in him a lot and will you know better on this than me but I want to say he was signed by Somerset going in he was. to 2020 yeah so it's an Atlantic League level pitcher then so that's yeah. obviously a solid one uh, there's two other guys I want to gush over here about Southern Illinois, and then I'll, I'll let you chime in, and then I'll swing back around and talk about Sussex County in a second, because I know we have a lot of people that are minor fans that we that will want to hear me gush over uh, Cody Mincy and Juan uh, Kelly. But Justin Farrell's another guy they picked up. He seems kind of like a spot starter, but he was kind of used weirdly. Like, he started off as a starter, and then they moved into a bullpen, and it seemed like every year he was playing, like, high A, then double A, then back to like low A, and he's bounced around an awful lot for like three or four years in a row. 
in the Astro system. So it almost is like he never really had any consistency. And I'd be willing to chalk that up to why he had some issues that he had. And I think if he is given consistency, that he could be a really, really useful pitcher uh, for Southern Illinois. I want to know if he's going to get used as a starter or not, because he seems to be effective as a starter. He was used like that in uh, 2015 in single A quad city and he posted an ERA below two in 64 innings. So he's clearly got something Now, granted that's, you know, six years ago now, but there's clearly something there of him as a starter. I hope they use him as one, even if it's like a four or five guy, I think that's where he's better. And then they've also picked up Tyler Sandoval, who's a first year pro out of Colorado Mesa or Mesa state in Colorado. It's, it's a division two program. That's the important thing. He did well there. Uh, slash 308, 419, 512 with nine home runs. And he stole a base, which as a catcher, I got to mention catcher stolen bases. He did that over about 100 games in college. So he's not a bad player, but you can't really judge anything off of a college player until they play professionally. So I just want to get the Southern Illinois bit out of the way. I really like what they did. They're the only team that took three players. I really like their draft. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Southern Illinois is building... Uh, one of the stronger teams in the Frontier League there as well, I think. I mean, also, Craig Massey, the former Somerset mm-hmm. Patriot, uh, is, is over there as well as a hitting coach. Uh, and and as, a, as a player as well, you'd assume he's probably going to be their opening day second baseman over there. But you're right about Gunnar Kynes. He's, he, he's a guy that Somerset wanted. Going into uh, going into the 2020 season, he was going to be uh, one of their one of their top guns in the rotation. And we know how Somerset likes to develop pitching, uh, so they clearly saw something in, in a guy like Gunnar Kynes. I'm almost interested as to why an Atlantic team didn't jump on him, try and bring him back. Uh, but of course, he's going to go back to the Frontier League and with Southern Illinois. I mean, Southern Illinois must be doing backflips because they essentially just found their ace and picked him up for free. Oh, uh, absolutely. And that's, that's just that's the honest truth. So, I think Southern Illinois was they, they had they had a great draft. You mentioned they were the only team that ended up taking uh, that ended up taking three guys. Which listen, I think it, it, as far as uh, all these guys who are American born and they're not eligible to play on this uh, on this Canadian team, which is a is a decent amount of the team. I mean, there was certainly talent in the draft. Uh, just, you know, just uh, following in on the on the on this dispersal draft. Oh wow, he was. Uh, oh wow, he was. Uh, he was on the Canadian team. Like wow, you could just you could just draft him for free or all all that. So I think Gunnar Kynes essentially, you would expect him to probably be the Southern Illinois ace to start the season, and I'm sure they're they're ecstatic that they were able to uh, get him. At, at the number two spot, which you would think maybe they they guessed that uh, Lake Erie was going to take him at one, but I'm sure they're they're doing backflips that they're able to get him at number two. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other team I do want to talk about is the other minor team in the league, which is the, the Sussex County Myers, the team that most of our viewers are probably familiar with. They got Cody Mincy with the 11th overall pick, and then the second round they got Juan Kelly. I'm going to let Will talk about Cody Mincy, seeing as he played for Long Island last year. And when you have a, a Long Island or a Atlantic League expert, more like it, uh, you let him talk about the Atlantic Leaguers. So I'll talk about the guy I know the most, the more about, which would be Juan Kelly. And 
uh, guys that watched the Can-Am League last year, or I guess 2019 now, the last year of the Can-Am League, know that Juan Kelly was one of those driving offense guys for Three Rivers. That they he was just really, really good. He continued doing what he's done historically, which is hitting home runs. He hit 10 of them in about 59 or so games. It's 221 at-bats, which probably works out to be a, a bit better to give you a sense. But what he started doing, which he hadn't done for a good little bit, was he started hitting for contact too and getting on base. Slash line 321, 408, and then 543. He's a dude that really took a next step. You could argue talent level was part of the reason for it, but even still, any league, those are good numbers. And as long as you can trust the stack keeping, which the Can-Am League, despite its many faults, stack keeping was one of the areas where I feel comfortable trusting it. He did very well there. He's a power hitting first baseman. He's a guy that's definitely going to fit in very well in Sussex County. He's a guy that's played a lot in that ballpark too, so he's going to be no stranger to it. I really, really do like that pickup, especially in the second round. And the thing that people don't really remember about him is he's more than just an offensive first baseman. He handles himself well defensively. And again, independent league ball and even minor league ball, there's not great defensive metrics. It really is fielding percentage and errors and things like that. But as far as that's concerned, in 44 games at first base, he only committed two errors, which for what it's worth is very good. And I like him a lot as a starting uh, opening day first baseman. I believe Adi Siriaco is still there. So that's going to be an interesting situation to see how that gets sorted out at first base. But I am interested to see how he's going to be used and how well Juan Kelly is going to fit in in Skylands. I think it's going to be a very, very nice pickup. And at the very least, as long as they get the visa issue sorted out and they can get him onto the team, he will be a productive player for them. I really love that pick. Yeah, the fact that Sussex County was able to pull, uh, was able to draft Juan Kelly in the second round was almost a surprise, especially after they drafted a guy like Cody Mincy in, in the first round. So Cody Mincy, he does fill up one of their veteran, one of uh, Sussex County's veteran spots. He actually turned uh, 29 today as we're recording on Thursday. On uh, excuse me, not Thursday, Friday yeah. uh, that that we were recording. So when you hear this, uh, it is. One day after Cody Mincy turned 29 years old, there's a fun fact. Uh, but as far as as far as Mincy, he pitched in the Frontier League for a few years after uh, after having his, finishing his college career at the University of South Carolina. Um, he primarily pitched with Wind uh, with uh, Windy City, and he was with River City. He really made a name for himself. Uh, he was really really good as their closer in 2018, a 2.20 ERA and 23 saves. Uh, with River City, that and River City has always had a pretty good pipeline to Long Island. Uh, we saw uh, we saw Brendan Feldman, who's actually going to be back in Long Island this year, was River City's best starter back in 2019 as well. So, um, and Mincy, despite having no affiliated experience, really earned his way uh, to the closing role for the Ducks, which was impressive considering all the talent, especially in the back end of that bullpen that the Ducks are bringing in year in and year out and the big names that they're bringing in throughout the season and shipping them out. And the guy who was there the entire season, Cody Mincy, was just a solid reliever. I know Wally Backman uh, really loved him uh, with the Ducks, a 253 ERA and 49 
uh, in 49 ap- total appearances. He ended up having five saves. He was the, he was the closer more towards the end of the year. I believe when Michael Tonkin uh, was picked up by the Diamondbacks, that's when Men- Menzi took over took over the closing role full time. And in the Atlantic League, he was awesome. I mean, stri- strikeouts per nine was at 12.8, which is in the Atlantic League really, really good. So I, th- I don't think there's any doubt here that Cody Menzi is probably going to open up the season as Sussex County. I mean, he's he was an outstanding reliever in the Atlantic League. I don't see why that wouldn't continue. Uh, but I mean, from from the baseball side of things, for sure. I mean, he is an excellent, excellent closer option in the Frontier League. I'm excited to see what uh, how Bobby Jones utilizes him. Oh yeah, absolutely. He's going to be a very interesting guy there, especially because Sussex County always has like a one-two punch in the back of their bullpen. Uh, historically, it's well, I shouldn't say historically, you've had guys like uh, Jose Jose that was there, like Ryan Newell who was there. You always have somebody there in Sussex County that's good. This continues that trend there and continues to make Sussex County one of those powerhouse teams on the Can-Am side. The Jackals also look good. They picked up a couple of really nice pieces in their, their getting there. I could try to pronounce the name of the, the player they got. Uh, but it's their first pick from the first round at pick number 10. Uh, I'm going to attempt this, and I promise you I'm going to get this guy's name horribly wrong, but I'm going to try it anyway. Jake Godarson, Godowski. I'm pretty sure it's Godowski, but there's a Z in front of everything, so I'm not sure how that factors it. So I'm just going to go with Godowski and hope that's right. But he pitched also for River City. He pitched very well, too. His highest ERA in the Frontier League over, like, the two or three years he spent there uh, was 2.39. He really was a solid uh, kind of guy. He did have some issues giving up some walks and some hits, but they never came around to score. So if they're not coming around to score, how much of an issue really is it? Um so he's going to help out New Jersey a lot too. So there's some really good pieces, like you were saying, in, that were available and uh, they definitely were made, uh, or some teams made the most of it. I will say there are two teams in particular I do want to talk about that didn't really do the best job drafting. And the first one is at pick number four, Evansville. They picked up a 23-year-old middle infielder, uh, Jackie Urbaez. I'm going to quote exactly what I have written in this article here because it really is the best summary of what I could say about your bias. Now, I'm not going to say your bias is a bad player because that's not true. Any player that gets drafted is talented and a better ball player than 99.9% of players, including myself. So everything is relative. With that said, your bias doesn't have much here. He played one professional season split between rookie level and high A, hitting 194, 348, 650 or six my mistake 265 swear i'm dyslexic or something i always mix up those numbers with a pair of bombs your bias isn't what i call a threat the dish he does draw a lot of walks walking 13 percent of his plate appearances so that's something he's a good fielder though so perhaps that's what the otters see in him but for my money there were better options available at the time i gotta be that i I think i think there were certainly better options available and I, i think if you really wanted him, you could have taken him in, in round two, maybe maybe even round three. I agree. That was a curious selection at number four when there were still plenty plenty of guys on the board. Yeah, like I would have even liked, and I understand you want more of a second baseman or a middle infielder, but Andrew Penner went next. And Andrew Penner is another guy, River City guy. 
he played well. His fielding percentage wasn't, you know, tremendous, but again, it's not to tell you the whole story. 13 errors, though, is not, you know, exactly terrific. But as far as like a threat at the dish, he batted much better. Like he hit, the best way to describe him is he hit like you expect the second, a shortstop to hit. He batted 282. Uh, then the rest of the slash line was 366, 375, seven steals, 15 doubles, three triples, two home runs. That's pretty much what you expect out of like a shortstop hitting. I would have thought he would have been a much better, uh, you know, option there to go with. More of a polished player, still a middle infielder. I'm not sure if it's reasonable to expect or not a shortstop to be able to play second base at least somewhat effectively, but you could have went with that there. Like, I just don't really understand why you take your bias there. Like, again, free lottery ticket player, so, I mean, he doesn't work out, he doesn't work out. Like, it is what it is. But still, it was a little bit of a puzzling decision there. And the one I don't get at all is Florence. They passed on their first round pick and thus were done with the draft before it even really began. And so, like I say in this article, I got to hand it to Brian White. He made my job extremely easy here by opting to not select any player. And again, it is odd because, again, it's like getting a free lottery ticket. There is quite literally zero risk. But hey, I mean, like, if he didn't see a player he wanted to add, he didn't see a player he wanted to add, but he had pick number nine, so he left guys like Gardowski on the board, he left guys like Mincy on the board, like Juan Kelly on the board, he left, like, a Zach Rakuzin on the board, there was other guys there that I think could have been effective and you could have taken, uh, Tanner Cable's another guy that I think could be really nice, yeah, that would have been a pretty decent little add to in my mind, um... Even like Tasker Strobel isn't a terrible option to pick up there. There's just guys that I thought they could have taken that would have helped him out. But I mean, if you don't see a guy you like, then don't take a guy just for the sake of taking him, I guess. But again, it's a free pick. It's a free player. Why not at least make a run at him, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I don't see why you wouldn't essentially take take a flyer on guys. And there were certainly and there were certainly guys, I mean, you could have gotten your closer in Cody Mincy. Like uh, right off the bat, you could have gotten your starting first baseman in Juan Kelly. You you, you could have you re- there were there were options there uh, mm. that they could have gone with. I was surprised as well that they didn't pick anyone before we before we move on. Though I, there was you and you mentioned him actually, but I yeah. wanted to make sure because uh, I did get a chance to watch him a good amount uh, in last summer because he played uh, in the All American Baseball Challenge as well as in the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. So I got a chance to watch him probably about. 15, 20 times last summer, and I was really impressed with him. And that, that's, uh, that was, of course, with Zach Rakusen, uh, the 27-year-old outfielder who was drafted by Windy City yeah. uh, in, in this draft. And I, I thought he, he in the Frontier League in 2018, in a quick 33-game stint with Lake Erie, he was really impressive, hit just under 300 uh, in those 33 games, and when he re- and I guess in 2019 his uh, his production took a bit of a dip uh, that I guess was a little bit puzzling um, from a data standpoint. But then, at least last year, he was probably the best player on the New Jersey Blasters. Uh, yeah. He put up he put up really good numbers in the Somerset Professional Baseball Series. Uh, and as I mentioned months ago about about that series the pitching was very high quality yeah. the uh, the offenses were not uh to be pitching, fair there's at least yes. one new jersey blast that's technically invited to an atlantic league camp oh, i know this 
Why am I forgetting it off the top of my head? I only I, know this I, because I know, I know him personally. Is. That's the only reason why I know this. Oh, uh, drafted. No. He, he was swings dra- lefty. He swings lefty. Third baseman. Right? Yep. Derek Romberg. There you go. <laughs> yes. Okay. Technically, he made high. He's making high points camp. So I mean, technically. He's there, and you could argue that he, he was technically the best available bat. But yeah, know. but yeah, and so Rakuzin also, um, at least when I got the chance to talk to him a couple of times, he wanted to maximize his time, so he would he would play uh, in the Somerset Professional Baseball on Saturday on uh, Fridays and Saturdays, and on Thursdays and Sundays he would go play for the Rockland Boulders. <laughs> in the All-American Baseball Challenge. And there in 13 games, he hit 475. Uh, in So that's 19 hits in 40 at-bats. Of course, the Frontier League is going to have better comp- better pitching than he saw in that league. But I think Rakuzin is a guy that he's a, a big potential breakout guy. Uh, then he'll, I think, I really think there's a chance that he hits a lot better than he did in 2019 with Lake Erie. And I think Windy City saw that as well. Uh, that he could potentially be a breakout guy for them, and, and he's a guy I'm really interested to see how um, how he hits this year um, with with Windy City. I think that was a great pick, and I, I just wanted to throw that in there about about Recuse, and I'm, I'm excited that he that he got he was able to get a shot. Absolutely, he probably will be starting over in Windy City because if I have mm-hmm. at least it right, historically speaking, they're not exactly the best team. So it'll be interesting to right. see if he gets able to get the uh, starting anything in the outfield there. But there's two things I thought of there while you were talking. The first was, it's kind of surprising the Boulders didn't take him back then. I mean, they already kind of saw him play. So, you know, I, that's true. You know, I'm kind of surprised they didn't take him because he was taken with the 12, well, technically in the 12th hole of round two. And the Boulders were, take, were picking, I believe, in the eighth spot, I want to say, in the draft, so they could have taken him in the second round and still, you know, had the guy. And so they passed on their second round pick. So that's interesting there. And the second thing also relates back to the Boulders in an indirect way. Their new manager is T.J. Stanton. T.J. Stanton managed the Three Rivers Eagles before managing the Boulders. So I'm kind of surprised that he didn't take more guys that were kind of under his watch, for lack of a better term, a guy like a Wine Kelly or, or perhaps someone else from Three Rivers there. I mean, he kind of has the inside scoop on him, so it's just kind of interesting you didn't kind of go to the well more on that one. Yeah, that is true. That is, I guess, from TJ Stanton, something I, I expected a little bit more of as well and, and, and didn't really get it. So, yeah. uh, But I'm sure Rockland will be competitive, or excuse me, the New York Boulders. I'm still not going to get used oh, to that. That one's going to be the one throughout the year. Uh, with that, I think we talked about the Frontier League and the dispersal draft enough for one week. And with that, we can go to the Atlantic League. And what we have here is an answer to one of our questions from last week, which was, are the other kind of experimental rules still in effect here? And the answer we got is yes, but not all of them, which is good. Uh, and so we'll kind of go through some of those real quick and we'll stop and we'll pause and talk about the ones that we feel necessary to talk about. And we'll kind of go over the ones that we've talked to death which is like the first three of them, to be quite honest. ABS, we said our piece on this last week and many weeks beforehand. It's coming in one way or the other. They're improving it. It's going to be better. So no complaints there. Three batter minimum. I'm pretty sure we both like three batter minimums. I don't think there's anything terribly yeah. wrong with that. It just kind of helps speed everything along because the most boring thing in the world is watching a pitcher throw to one batter 
lock them, and then bring in another pitcher and do the same thing ad nauseum. We, we don't need that. Figure it out. Learn how great. to throw to different batters. Uh, then 18-inch base, again, great. It's bigger. Uh, doesn't really affect me in any way. Doesn't affect the game in any meaningful way. Cool. Uh, now, the first one I think that's kind of uh, a little bit more of a, a talking point is that all infielders must remain on the dirt until the pitch is delivered. So, I guess this is kind of the shift rule in a sense. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, just because you 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 I I can't I've watched a lot of Atlanta games. I cannot remember one time where we saw like of course you turn on an MLB game on any given night and a left-handed hitter comes up, there's a solid chance they go into the complete lefty shift with the, the second baseman in short right field. I don't think you'll, you'll never see that in the Atlantic League. So I think it doesn't make a huge difference. I mean, it still allows for shifting somewhat because there's no rule about having to have two guys on each side of the infield. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like there, like there was in 2019. However, um, I mean, as far as everyone's got to be on the infield, well, I mean, they were going to be on the infield to begin with. So I, I think, yeah. uh, I, I don't think it's, I really don't think it's that big of a deal at all. I don't think there'll be, there's much of a, uh, there's going to be much of a, a fuss put up about that one. I think it'll be just fine. Yeah, I, I was about to say the same thing. I mean, like technically, you could just stack all your infielders on one side and tell them put their heels against the outfield grass. And you're still compliant, and then as soon as the ball gets hit or not hit, then you adjust to that. But again, like you're saying, they just really don't shift at this level of baseball. It just doesn't really happen. I I don't know why it is. I think it's just not really that effective. I don't think you know it's it's a testable rule here. So I mean, like, yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason why you don't see a lot of shifting mm-hmm. in the Atlantic League is because one, there's not there's not a lot of data on it. Mm-hmm. Like they, they don't have access to a lot of this data and spray charts and whatnot. I mean, you, of course, if, I mean, guys who have been in the league for, for a little bit, you know, Hey, he, he likes to pull the ball. Uh, he likes to drive the ball the other way. If you wanted, if, and if you want to adjust your positioning slightly, that's, you know, more power to you. But I, I think you don't really have the data, not to mention you have guys that are, um, that, are so interchangeable during the season so many guys moving in so many guys moving out and i mean if you have a specific spray chart in double a when you're struggling and then when you get cut and come to the atlantic league how relevant is that double a spray chart i'd argue probably not very relevant yeah uh so so i think i don't think you you don't see much of shifting to begin with in the atlantic league so this rule's fine it's not gonna make any difference yeah uh, I agree with that. Uh, moving on, a minute 45 in between innings. Again, like, who cares? Uh, um, the extra inning rule is going to stay in effect. I don't think that was ever really up for debate. So, I mean... I didn't I didn't know that had to be said. I, I yeah. just assumed. I mean, as much as I hate it on the, MLB, on the MLB level, it makes sense for minor league baseball. It makes sense for the Atlantic League because you can't just call somebody up the next day to give you some innings. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I think... At least on the Atlantic League level, the the extra inning rule I don't like it. Uh, but there's the Atlantic League regular season games that go 15 innings are not good for anyone. Yeah, so, just from a practical um, standpoint, it just makes no sense to have a Tuesday night game in early May in New Jersey or Long Island 
where it's like 50 degrees out with wind to have that thing go an extra hour long it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever to do it no one's in that ballpark the players don't want to be playing that long and again you're just stretching yeah. arms thin it, it's pointless now on the MLB level I, there's a different argument because you can you can just call somebody up the next day uh, to to help give you some innings so I, I hate it on the MLB level but I do think uh, for the Atlantic League it, it, it's totally fine and you know, you, you did say, uh, you said, you know, on a, on a, on a uh, early May evening in New Jersey, I feel like it's going to take both of us a, a bit a bit of getting used to that there's going to be no New Jersey Atlantic League team this year. That's It is. It's going to be, that's tough to get used to. It is, because there was always so many teams. I mean, we talked about this last week where there was at one point four teams in New Jersey, and now we're down to none. It's yeah. so weird. It's so weird. I, I honestly never thought this would happen. but I never did either, no. Who knows? Maybe we'll get one back one day. We could, one day. We could have had one. If, if Trenton would have just swallowed their damn pride, we would have had one. Well, it did pay off for Trenton for one year. For one year, yeah. But let's see how that draft leak goes for him. I'm going to go not well. Oh, no, absolutely. But, well, I'll, I'll, save my, I'll save my Trenton rants uh, for another day because – I don't think we talked about their their latest uh, their latest petty move because that was that was after last week's show, the one I sent you, right? Yeah, yeah, it was after. It's like a day or two oh, later. What yeah. they did on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that was that. That'll be you know what? That'll be my thing to add. All right, we'll, we'll save that for the end. Okay, good. So then, moving on, uh, the three team timeouts, and then you got an extra one in the tenth, and then you got an extra one every three innings after that. Three seems very very narrow. Like I agree. I. Like, I understand, and I did look this up because I was looking up the rule book for something else, and then I found this in there. The timeout is either a mound meeting or a meeting amongst players or something similar like that. Because at first, when I saw a timeout, I was like, oh. they, yeah. At first, when I, I saw a timeout, thinking- I thought they meant, like, when you call for time. I was going to be like, oh, th- yes. only three? I could see, like, three an inning. But, like, I no, these are, like, mound visits and whatnot. Even still... I would have liked to see five. I don't think an extra two would have killed anybody. I was under the impression this entire time that it was hitters stepping out of the box. No, 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 and no. And I no. thought it was the stupidest thing ever. No, 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 no. It's not that. Although, honestly, something like that would probably be way more effective. To be honest. To yeah. be honest with you. But then why would they call it timeouts? Who that's the hell calls it timeouts? Yeah, that's they what screwed with me. Visits. Yeah, because like when I hear time in baseball, I'm like, oh, it's... It's a batter calling for time. <laughs> like, that's just what my mind exactly. goes to. Yeah, if I didn't like, look that up in the rule book, I would have had no idea about that. Like, a broadcaster is like, and, I don't know, Smith calls time in the box and steps out. Yeah. Like, that's what the word timeout means in baseball. Like, adjust your wording, please. Yeah. Confusing like, people. Yeah, like, I don't... It, it was poorly worded, but still, three mound visits or three, like, player meetings or whatever they are. Again, I think five would have been good, but now you're limiting them to one every three innings. I think five would have been good, and it's technically one every other inning. And at that point, I mean, like, if you're having to meet with your pitchers that often, I got news for you. You are already screwed before that mountain visit. So three, like, I guess it works, but it's a petty thing. It's a minor thing, but I would have liked to see, like, another one or two added. I don't think it would have been that much of a delay added on there. Especially with the three batter minimum and everything speeding it along, I, I think that five would have been a fair yeah, number I there. Think, I mean, I think five, which is what it currently is at the MLB level, I think yeah. that's the perfect number. Yeah. I, I don't think 
I think three. You're you're starting to push it a bit. Yeah. And there's this whole and nothing's more annoying. Like like oh, but this is the rule. But oh, but if the substance of the conversation is just about changing signs, then it doesn't count. So then you have the umpire running out there with the catcher. To, to get in on the conversation for him to say if it's a mound visit or not. And it, it's just, it's just really weird. And yeah. I, I would rather just say five mound visits. I'm, I'm more inclined to give them more mound visits and say, all right, five mound visits. You can use it for whatever the hell you want. You change signs, uh, talk about breakfast tomorrow, do whatever you want, but you have five and there's no exceptions. So that I, I would have rather seen something like that yeah. than three but if you're using it to change signs and whatnot well then it doesn't count like it's just it's just a weird line that you, that I, I will you have say, to straddle with this rule i will say this much when i was in that rule book and i've stumbled across that all it said was it was three mound visits player meetings or one other thing and they may not exceed more than 30 seconds if it does exceed 30 seconds it is at the umpire's discretion to uh, call them on it, and if they do call them on it, and then they still continue going after Ooh. they're warned, then the next pitch is rule the ball. Which, that's a that's a good idea. Yeah, and it didn't say anything about content. Yeah, and it didn't say anything about content. So I think it's just three. If you visit the mound more than three, you cannot do it more than three times. Now, what, yeah, I was willing to say this much. I'm even more willing to ante it up from just like the next pitch is a ball. I'd be willing to say it's a balk. Yeah, I mean, if because yeah. I always found it, I always found it weird in baseball how you can talk as long as you want until the umpire has decided for on based on whatever he thinks mm. that yeah, that's enough. I'm an, I'm gonna take the slow walk out here. All right, guys, let's go. And even when he's out there, they still keep talking. So yeah. if you want to speed it up, you're right. Instead of limiting the number of mountains, which some can be very quick. Why not actually limit the time on them, yeah. right? And then as soon as the catcher is charged jogging out to the mound, boom, 30 seconds. Exactly. And again, this is an umpire discretion. So if at exactly 30, they want to tell you, okay, you're at your 30, you got to get gone now. And then you leave, then fine. Or if they want to go, okay, it's been 30 seconds. I'll give them an extra like five to 10 to just kind of finish up what they are. And then I'll warn them. They could do that too. That is on the table here, but it's essentially saying you're guaranteed 30 seconds after that. The umpire can come and get you whenever they want, which again, I like that. I like how this is that that rule is if enforced correctly, not bad. Again, I still would like to give them like an extra two mound visits, especially if we're actually going to enforce the 32nd thing, then give them an extra two for Christ's sake. But right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Again, and like I said, I don't think you need to exceed more than more than five, because again, if you're meeting with your pitcher every other inning, you got a staff issue if you have to keep talking to your pitcher or have your catcher go talk to your pitcher that many times, unless it's just a sign change. Yeah, the pitcher needs to come out of that come out of the game in that in that instance. Exactly, and again, like even if we're like, okay, well now it's a different pitcher. Again, if it's like you're going out to talk in the first, in the third, in the yeah. fifth, in the seventh, like come on, it says more about your staff than anything else. But I I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Any case, next rule up is the intentional walk rule states. Again, I kind of assumed that was a given, but all right. It needed to be explicitly stated. So now you're just kind of like, we're going to walk them. And then like, okay, go down. Don't have to throw a pitch, which again, like I understand it 
its purpose and I guess throwing four pitches down really doesn't have a purpose but I still would like to see the guy throw at least one you know it's unnecessary it doesn't have any impact on pace of play it's just you want to walk him just go although I will say there is a there are there are those funny moments where you have a where it ends up being a wild pitch, you know. I think Miguel Cabrera did it once where he hit one he hit a pitch out for a base up the middle, like back in his heyday, where you simply just could not get Miguel Cabrera out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, I, I think it, it's a minor thing, but I'm surprised it had to be said. I thought that was already kind of a thing in all of baseball at this point. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed that's the way it was too, but. It was said, and then the final one that was listed is now you can, there is 15 seconds in between pitches, which again, I find this hilarious that, because it's not actually going to be enforced, because we know how pitch clocks go. They're never enforced. So, like, again, like, okay, you could say it, but if, if you make a rule, but it's never enforced, and it's not a rule, it's a suggestion. Yeah, so basically, I got to see... 15 second pitch clock in action in um in in the double a eastern league back in 2019 where they did put in a pitch clock i believe it was 15 seconds with nobody on 20 seconds uh 20 seconds with a runner on to me it didn't really um it, it was never enforced but i will say the pitchers did seem to move quicker but when i talked to a couple a uh, couple pitchers about this they they didn't seem to have a problem with 15 seconds. They seem to think like if, if a pitcher's going good, 15 seconds is. I mean, the, the, they'll be ready to throw by 15 seconds. It's not going to be that big of a deal. But it's something that I, I, I don't mind trying. But at least in the younger generation, this is my at least the sense I get watching more college baseball and even watching some of the minor leagues. Pitchers are working faster than they have ever before. I think long gone is the. I, I don't think. At this point, you have guys like Josh Beckett uh, back in the early 2010s who, when things were starting to go bad, he would take forever to throw pitches. And then the Red Sox-Yankee games would go like four hours and 30 minutes in a nine-inning nine game. And I don't think you see too much of that anymore. I think guys who are coming up want to get the ball. They want to throw it quick. They want to establish more of a rhythm. And so um, – and so, you know, I mean, it's not going to be enforced. I mean, maybe Freddie enforces it. Yeah. Uh, any any Atlantic League fan or player no uh, player listening, they, you know who Freddie is. He might enforce it, but uh, but anyone else, but everyone else, I, I don't think it'll make that big of an impact. To be honest with you. Yeah, I don't. I don't expect it having an impact because it's not going to be enforced. So. You know, uh, with that, that's about all we got in rule talk. We go to just a couple of other miscellaneous things, and then we'll get to the uh, build a team as as we wrap that series up. But first, we have an answer to another question we had last week, and we also have a correction here. See, I was pronouncing Monclava as Monclava because I thought it was pronounced Monclava. Apparently, it's pronounced Monclova. So a slight difference, but a difference nonetheless. So we have a Monclova update. If you recall from last week, we spent a decent chunk of time talking about how the Rocky Mountain Vibes had signed an agreement with Monclova and they were going to host players over and it was stated minor league players. But then they went on to detail how like they're going to play the season in like Colorado Springs as the vibes and they went into all this detail and listed players on their 
like official LMB roster. And so then we had this whole question as to, okay, the press release is obviously not that well written because it kind of implies that we're going to see like big name players while that doesn't fit the Pioneer League at all, despite explicitly saying it's going to be minor leaguers, but it implied something else. We have an answer. It is minor leaguers that are not going to play in the Monclova official minor league, I guess, affiliate or in the minor league that they're would normally play in because that league is not playing in 21 due to the COVID situation in Mexico. So these minor leaguers are going to play in Colorado Springs as the vibes. Monclova is going to pay the salary for those players. And the salaries are apparently very similar to what you'd get in the pioneer league. So that's, so I I think that makes a lot more sense. And for those minor leaguers, I mean, that, that, that's great for them that they're able to, they're going to be able to play this year uh, when a lot of their counterparts may not. And who knows, maybe that turns into a, um, maybe that turns into someone of an advantage down the line for, it is Monclova. Okay. Yeah, it's Monclova. Uh, but uh, it is good to know that we won't have Bartolo Colon pitching in the Pioneer League as much as people wanted to see that. It didn't make a whole lot of sense, but uh, it, it makes sense. It does leave me a bit disappointed, but yeah, it, this all does make everything make a lot more sense. Plus, it's good for the vibes, too. They don't have to pay players because, you know, they have someone else picking up the tab on it. So it's kind of like they're still an affiliate and they're able to kind of continue operations, business as usual. They don't have to worry about a roster and they can kind of begin to learn the ropes of being an independent league team, although they're a partnership league team, although no one acknowledges that term because it's a stupid term, as we've said multiple times. So they get to be in a quasi-state for one year, and then in 22, when things should really be back to normal, they can really hit the ground running uh, and get the whole indie ball experience, as it were. But I think it's a really beneficial thing here, so definitely good on them. Right. Yeah, I agree. And so the last uh, piece of uh, miscellaneous news, Chris Costi has been named the manager of Fargo-Moorhead. He was the interim manager last season. Team went 28-32, and 32, so slightly under 500. All things considered in the COVID season, not terrible, not great. You know, could have been better, could have also been a lot worse. You know, I, it's fine. Again, it's still very weird how that whole situation came about, how Jim Bennett gets canned like a week before the season begins and how all that goes down. But he did fine. You know, he he was a former player for for the Red Hawks. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. again, like, uh, he's fine. I mean, like, I'm not going to critique this. He's good. I mean, to be honest with you, Nick, I kind of forgot. After I kind of didn't hear anything about the Red Hawks managerial position, I'm like, Oh, I, um, I kind of forgot that Costi was still technically an interim at, at this point in the season, but I think it, it was kind of confirming what everybody knew at this point. And listen, and I remember talking about this during during the summer last year, I mean, when Fargo Moore had got off to a brutal start, uh, and and then they got red hot in the last week or so of the season to get that record up to twenty eight and thirty two. Uh, on the season, although they were never really into playoff contention, it was more of a too little, too late thing. Mm-hmm. However, that shows that they clear that the guys clearly want to play for them. Uh, they they didn't just bow their heads and you know and sulk when they were uh, when they were in last place by a wide margin, which they were uh, for for much of that season. So I think it makes sense, definitely for a year, see what he can do. It seems like a, a solid hire, and uh, now the officially officially. 
the manager of the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks. But yeah, that, that that situation was so bizarre last year. I've never seen something had to go on behind the scenes. It was not a great situation. And to Costi's credit, I thought he did a decent job uh, given what what he was uh, handed. Yeah, it's like the only detail we ever really got there was Bennett wanted a larger role than what the Red Hawks were willing to give him, and they just went kind of south from there. And he was That's a bit, yeah, super vague. Uh, yeah, so I don't really know what that means, but uh, yeah, no good. Go for Costi gets to come back here, and I mean, yeah, like you said, they managed to salvage what was a miserable season for their for a large chunk of the year. So good on them. But uh, on that note. I think we can head to our Build-A-Team series, the kind of grand finale of it, at least for as far as the podcast is concerned, because today we are picking the staff, we are picking the roster for each of our respective teams, and then hopefully we'll be able to plug these babies into like out-of-the-park baseball and see which team is the uh, better constructed team here. But that comes later on down the line. First, we got to go through our staff. If you want to get caught up on the Build a Team uh, series, though, you can go back to episode 110 and episode 108 and listen to why we chose the cities we chose, why we or how we would run the teams, like, you know, the more operational stuff and get all caught up uh, with that. I'd recommend doing that if you haven't already. But if you are caught up or you don't care about getting caught up, then uh, we can get going there. Normally we have Will start, so I'm going to let him start again by picking his staff, and then I'll explain how we're going to do the announcing of the uh, the two rosters here. I went kind of wild for okay. uh, for the other ones, but the pitching coach was. I mean, I guess everyone knows him. I, I was thinking pitching coach. This is my guy. He still doesn't have a job, so I went with John Hunton. Uh, he's uh, he's been the Somerset Patriots. Pitching coach done an outstanding job. They they, uh, it's a pitcher factory uh, over in Somerset during their time in the Atlantic League. They sent a ton of guys to affiliated ball. So I mean, considering he still at this point does not have a job, even though I mean maybe he joins Brett Jody's staff in Lincoln. I'm not I'm not sure, but uh, but at this moment I have John Hunton as uh, as the pitching coach for my team for. The front office, I went with Tom Whaley. Okay. He's currently the executive vice president for the St. Paul Saints. He's been it since 2002. Now, listen, I don't know, any, know um, a lot of these people personally. I have no idea if they would have any interest in uh, moving to um, a, an expansion team to run their or run an organization themselves. Uh, but let's assume for sake of this, they would. So I went with Tom Whaley. I mean, the St. Paul Saints, I mean – they they're they are the pinnacle of independent league baseball uh just not beyond how they do things on the field uh community outreach they've built such a huge fan base they're at the front of every innovation as far as game day experience i would want somebody from that front office to uh to run uh run mine and i went with tom whaley he's been with the saints for uh for decades at this point i think that um, he would be my guy to, uh, I guess for, it's called front office. However, I guess de facto GM, you could call it yeah. president, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's really so, just more of a, we need a f- one front office type. It's a vague yeah. term admittedly. Yeah. So my, my hidden coach, I'll save my manager for last, okay. uh, my hidden coach, he's also a player. So I guess first player reveal, uh, yeah. this is going to be, um, so 
my hitting coach, I don't know if he would have any interest in being also a hitting coach, but he was rewarded with being a hitting coach because I wanted to keep it realistic. Uh, a lot of indie ball teams, they obviously have their manager and they essentially pick one to have a full-time guy for, for pitching or hitting coach. And then you have a player coach in the other role. We've seen it uh, in a variety of ways, uh, but that's how mo- a lot of indie ball teams run. So I wanted to keep that uh, consistent with mine. So my hitting coach is Tyler Saladino. Uh, Tyler Saladino, is a he, he played for five years in the major leagues with the White Sox and the Brewers, among, among others, made some playoff runs uh, in the past as well. And from a player perspective, um, he played with the Samsung Lions of the KBO last season. Uh, he struggled with some injuries there. And I tell, I'll tell you what, Nick. Yeah. Last year, when I was watching the KBO every day, when there was nothing, there was nothing else on. At least before the, even when the American Association was playing, I was still catching up on on my KBO. So mm-hmm. I knew some of the guys that didn't resign there. So and it makes a lot of sense. So Tyler Saladino, uh, he still had a solid year with Samsung, uh, hitting 280, an on base percentage of 411, with six home runs in just 44 games. He did struggle uh, with the injury bug with the Lions. They elected not to bring him back. So I decided to bring in Tyler Saladino in a uh, player coach role. Hopefully the extra money convinces him uh, a little bit extra money of also being the hitting coach convinces him to come as well. And I also view him as my starting second baseman. So I, I think t- as my first MLB guy, uh, I went with, I went with Tyler Saladino and he is also my hitting coach. Now for my manager, I went with, a lot of in the to fill a lot of the managerial holes, at least in the Atlantic League, there was young guys, first time managers, and so I decided to go on that route. Uh, I went with Jonathan Albaladejo. Uh, That's a was, really he good pick. With the, he, he pitched with the Lancaster Barnstormers uh, for for quite a while um, near the end of his career. He pitched with the Yankees a little bit in his time in the MLB. He doesn't pitch anymore. Uh, he's currently he is technically employed at this point. Uh, uh, he is a manager. In the in the in the Empire League, but I'm just going to take him from the Empire League. Uh, so uh, I, Al Baladejo would do a great job. He has connections with the Atlantic League. He knows how the Atlantic League works. I think players would want to play for him. Uh, he was a pitching coach uh, with Lancaster, a player coach, so he he understands the role. I think he would be I think he would be a great managerial fit, and he's the manager of of my team. Yeah, and so I. I want to say first off, Apolodejo is a really nice pick. I I really like that pick as manager. Now, obviously, I was, I was thinking about it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, not as much as my guy because obviously, if I if I liked your pick more, I would have picked him. But as a guy, I didn't really even think of, but really, really solid pick there. I do like that a lot. Thank you, sir. Yeah. And so I do want to catch people up a little bit here. Some of the ground rules we had for establishing the roster and the staff was. You couldn't pillage another Atlantic League team because presumably if someone's already on an Atlantic League roster, they wouldn't just shift to another team. It wouldn't really make much sense. You were allowed to pillage, you know, kind of the leagues that are perceived to be below the Atlantic League or equal with them because that's realistic enough. You see guys jump from Indy League to Indy League all the time. And as far as major leagues go, major leaguers or former major leaguers, we capped it at five. We said you can't have more than five former major league players on a roster because, I mean, if we didn't, then, I mean, A, it's not really that realistic. And B, you know, it, it gets a little bit out there and starts to get, you know, it could get carried away. 
and we wanted to keep this as realistic as possible to keep with the whole series. So I just want to throw that out there in case people were a little bit like, oh, why is he saying first major leaguer? That, that's why. So on that note, I'm going to start by unveiling my staff and then we can go to the rosters from there. Front office position. Friend of the show is not going to be, you know, thrilled with the fact I'm kind of rating his front office a little bit here. But, and I am going to kind of, you know, pull from the rules a little bit here because, I mean, it's a promotion. So I kind of use the NFL or other major league rules where you can't hire someone to a lateral position. They have to be going up. So if you're going to hire a pitching coach from another team, they have to be a manager. Similar thing here. I am stealing from a new Atlantic League team in uh, in Lexington. I'm taking Michael Coltack in my front office. The dude has a lot of connections. Clearly, Lexington knows what they're doing. West Virginia knows what they're doing in just the way they assembled their roster. I think promoting Coltack kind of into the Atlantic City team that I'm building, I think he would find a way to really kind of bring the vision I've set forth to life and also really help construct this roster because clearly uh, they're good at hiring people. He knows guys. He's not that, uh, you know, out of the game too. He's recently retired. So he's got a good pulse on, you know, some of the guys that are still playing and, you know, what they look for, how to build an organization, things like that. So he's my front office pick. Uh, Sorry to our friends in Lexington for raiding your front office, but it couldn't be helped. There was nothing that could have been done. Uh, regardless, I'm going to just keep going from top bottom. I'm going to name my manager next. And we were just talking about him too. He's still technically speaking not employed. And he was manager of the year in the American Association in his only year in Fargo-Moorhead. Had 63 wins. Really got Fargo-Moorhead back into relevancy. Something they hadn't had in a decent bit of time. I'm bringing Jim Bennett in. He's 63, so he's not the youngest guy in the world, but he's still not terribly old. I still believe he could be a manager for this team for close to a decade, and that that matters a lot to me. He's clearly a guy that knows how to build a roster. He's a guy that knows how to win, and we are dedicated to winning here and putting a good team on the field. That said, I did struggle a little bit to find a hitting and a pitching coach because I wanted to find someone that could at least relate to the area, and you'll see... A handful of my guys that I picked on my roster here, or hopefully we'll be able to get on my roster. I'll explain how we're going to reveal these rosters in a second. Are from New Jersey and from the general Atlantic City area. Because you want guys that are kind of familiar or are local guys and you can promote as such. So I have two former Atlantic Surf players as my pitching and my hitting coach. The first up is the hitting coach. I picked Demetrius Heath. He's a guy who spent a couple of years in Atlantic City, was one of their better hitters too, and I believe 2006, and really is actually a very good coach, as he's a high school coach in Florida right now. So I'm still asking him to coach, I'm just asking him to come up from, I think it's Homestead, Florida, and come up to Atlantic City and now work on the professional level as opposed to the high school level. Similarly, I do have a guy that's technically a pitching instructor right now at kind of a private pitching academy. He's actually still in the greater New York area. I think he's in Cedar Knolls is where the the pitching academy is based out of. But he's another former Atlantic uh, City player. He is Andy High. 
another guy from the 2006 team, I believe. And he was a decent little pitcher there. He spent a decent chunk of time in Atlantic City. And I went so far in depth to make sure that both of those guys were available that I looked them up and I found their LinkedIn page. I found the resources to pack up that they are, in fact, uh, instructors at some point. And I think it's very realistic to ask them to come back to Atlantic City and essentially hold the same role on a professional level. Again, they're not terribly old. They're younger guys. And I think you could have a situation where you have a guy like Bennett. He's there for, you know, seven, eight, maybe nine years. And then you can transition to one or the other into that manager role later on. They already kind of know the city, too. And that's a huge benefit in my mind. So that's how my staff shakes out. Okay. I, I like the I like the Jim Bennett hire. Yeah. I, I really do. I think that's <clears throat> we we're just talking about him. It's funny. So yeah. uh and of course Michael Coltak has done an outstanding job. Uh, of course the rosters aren't full yet. Yeah. Um and you know, the big part of being uh the director of ba- director of baseball ops, uh, especially in indie ball, is you're you're gonna be looking to to change guys in and out mid mid season and you know so of course we haven't we haven't seen him do that yet but I mean at least the initial rosters he's built in Lexington and West Virginia those are gonna be two contenders uh for oh, sure and so I, I think that's I, I think that's that's a great choice there as well. Yeah but now we get to what the people came for. Yeah the roster reveal so because I'm undoubtedly sure that we do have some players that we both put on our rosters because I'm not sure about you, but I actually had a very difficult time constructing a roster under like the parameters we set. So I figured the the most fun way of doing this would be to have almost like a quasi draft type thing. Not exactly where, you know, like we go, Oh, with my first pick, I select like, I don't know, whoever the hell it is and then go like that. But instead, we'll go, okay, we're going to pick the catcher position, and then you'll name your catcher, then I'll name my catcher, and we'll go back and forth like that. Because unlike up to this point, if we have the same player on roster, that's going to be a problem when we try to sim these two teams against each other. So with that said, I'll let you start with catcher, and then you name your catcher, I'll name mine, then I'll name my first baseman, you'll name yours, and then we'll continue on like that. I'll let you start with uh, your. We'll go with the starting lineup. Your starting nine. Then we'll go to the rotation, and then from there we'll just list off our bullpen and bench because I think that at that point uh, the gimmick will get kind of old. So, uh, okay, here we go. So for catcher, Atlantic League fans will know this name. Uh, he he has been one of the better catchers in the league over the past few years. Uh, he was originally. Probably likely going to come back to York in 2020. He ended up getting picked up uh, by uh, a Mexican league team in a season that did not happen. Uh, I tried to look up and see if he was re-signed for 2021. I couldn't find anything. Still said he was a free agent. And if you couldn't tell, uh, then York Revolution fans will certainly know who I'm talking about at this point, and that is Isaias Tejeda. I am very, very excited to bring in Tejeda as my catcher. He was an absolute menace at the plate with York in 2019. On any other team, he would be the team's best hitter, but Telvin Natcher's unbelievable season, uh, mm. un- probably top to Hayda, but Tata hit 338, an o- OBP uh, just under 400 at 399, with 23 home runs in 131 games with York. Um, he's probably a guy that uh, isn't going to be behind the plate every day, 
uh, he, at least with York, he was pretty much half and half with first base and catcher caught, uh, caught, I believe, 57 games uh, in, in 2019 with the York Revolution. But he, my primary catcher, I don't think you're going to find a better offensive threat than Isais Tejeda. And I'm more, and I understand, like, from like a defensive aspect, you want, um, you want a good defensive catcher. But for the Atlantic League, you have to assume the automated balls and strikes are still in. So I don't even really care so much about defense behind the plate when, when framing is not in the equation. So I, I think uh, I think Tejeda is my guy behind the plate. Yep. And so I just had the Ocean City Stars swipe out my uh, catcher from me. And I had a feeling. Sorry it was, about that. No, 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 no. It's fine. I got other guys. But I had a feeling it was coming because catcher was probably the hardest position to find. Because there really was uh, very few options, at least, uh, that seemed to be great. So we'll have to throw a quick audible. And uh, I'm going to a guy that really hasn't played, I believe, since 2018. So it's it's been a hot minute. But he does have Atlantic League experience. He was originally going to be my backup catcher. But, you know, we can audible. That's not an issue. And we're going to pick Armindo Escobar. He is not a terrible catcher by any stretch in a... And these are all just independently games that I have listed. Well, that's here. a very nice thing to say. Yeah, yeah I know. He's it's, not. He's not terrible. Look, I'm talking as a starter here. Like, look, if he was going to be <laughs> on my bench, there's a reason he's going to be on my bench. But he batted 270. Uh, the rest of the slash is 346, 368, 10 home runs in 174 games. Like I said, he would have been perfect as a bench catcher. He would have been great there. Now he's a starting catcher, so I hope he can hold on to that position. And, uh, yeah, that that's my guy there. He hasn't played since I believe he was with the either, I think he was with the Road Warriors or the Bluefish last. So we're hoping for the best here. That's why I'm saying uh, we don't know what we're getting, but hopefully we're getting something decent. So far, I don't believe he has been re-signed in Mexico, so I believe that this pick is still will work. He's a guy that Jackal oh fans will know. He's uh, pretty much a first baseman. He only has 108 games in uh, independent ball, but he just raked there a slash line of 346, 450, 682, 32 home runs. And keep in mind, that's all in 108 games over the course of two years. The man I'm talking about is Art Charles. I'm bringing him in to be my everyday first baseman. Okay. So my guy that I'm going to go with. New Britain Bees fans will know him, and that is Brock Stassi. Uh, he is going to play first base. So in double A in 2019, um, he unfortunately got his season cut short due to injury, but while he did play in double A, he was outstanding. Hit 315 with an on-base percentage of 412. Hit two home runs in 25 games uh, in double A. Um, that, was, that was all he played because he did end up getting injured. However, the year before uh, in New Britain in 2018, he was outstanding before getting his contract purchased. Hit 361 and on base percentage of 458, uh, five home runs in 40 games with the Bees. The Ducks signed him originally in 2020 uh, in a season that did not happen. He was a guy that I was really excited for coming into the year. Uh, and the Ducks haven't brought him back to this point. So, Guess what, Brock? You can come to Ocean City and be my everyday first baseman. It's very funny you mentioned that because I originally had Brock Stassi written down. 
Really? And, and then I was like, no, nah, I like this other guy better. And this is one of those guys that when we were off air, I was telling you, like, yeah, I got two guys that are a little bit out there, but everyone else falls in line. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm curious to know who your second baseman is now. Well, I actually already. Oh, yeah, because my yeah, the hidden coach. Yeah. That, my hidden coach, Tyler Saladino. So I won't go into much more detail, but he played in the KBO last season, got a season cut short due to injury. You know, we already went over the numbers, but he, I, I would, I anticipate on Saladino starting at second base for me. So I'm picking a longtime indie ball player. He spent a little bit of time in the Mets organization, but uh, Boulder fans will remember him. T-Bone, so I guess uh, I now Monarch fans will remember him. And, of course, um, Milwaukee Milkman fans will remember him from last year. Uh, at second base, I'm taking Dylan Tice. He's a guy I really oh, yeah. do like. He seems like the perfect kind of guy to put at second base. I had a lot of options here. There's a couple guys I have in reserve that I was really thinking about tacking on there, too. But in the end, uh, Tice kind of won out. Uh, 310, 394, and 411 with 14 home runs and 311 games across independent league ball. He has managed to make the adjustment from Can-Am to American Association. So I am banking on him being able to make that adjustment from American Association to Atlantic League. I don't think the jump is as steep as Can-Am to American Association was. So I expect him to perform and do very well in that second base uh, slot as well. Okay. Yep. So I, th- I like that pick. Yep. He's I, a good player. I know. It was between him and the one of the guy I have in my reserve now, which I'll mention once we go through everything because I don't want to give away my, my one reserve player. But it was another American yeah. Association second baseman. But, uh, yeah, so – at third base, this is another guy. I think a lot of people kind of became aware of him last year when he was in the All-American Baseball Challenge. He's a guy that can play second base, can play shortstop. He's also played third base a lot, so I feel comfortable having him as an everyday third baseman. He's kind of just a utility knife player. You could stick him just about anywhere, and he can do well. He batted really well for three rivers in 2019, and I'm kind of surprised he's flown under the radar for this long. I believe he actually has a little bit of Atlantic Lake experience, although um, it wasn't the best from what I recall. 286 lifetime batting average in independent league ball for, I believe, 37 home runs as well, attached to in 328 games. The guy I'm talking about is, of course, Tucker Nathan. So welcome to Atlantic City. Good one. Yeah. Tucker Nathan's absolutely tore it up in the All-American Baseball Challenge. I, I, I love watching him play. Yeah, he's. Um, a, I've been standing this dude since 2019. I remember checking my phone and looking at his stats and going, how are not more people aware of Tucker Nathan's? He's a dude that really seriously yeah. has flown under the radar. Absolutely. I, to- I totally agree with that. Well, for my third baseman, uh, it's a guy that if you've been following my page, you know that I am a huge fan of this guy. He's oh, on the dear. younger side. I know uh, this he, is now. You do for third I, base? I think so. I think I know, but I'm going to let you keep going. All right. So after I say the name, you're going to say if you, if you got it right or not. Okay. Okay. So um, the guy who was not signed anywhere so far uh, in 2021, really, he is pretty young for, for the Atlantic League, but he was outstanding uh, in his time with York in a great lineup. And that, that would be Henry Castillo. Right? I was wrong. You were wrong. No. Who did you think I was going with? I thought you were going to steal from the Monarchs and take Kengar. No, I love, as much as I love Kendra, I couldn't steal too many Somerset guys. That'd be too easy. Yeah, yeah sure. 
So Castillo hit 293 uh, in 109 games with York, an on-base percentage of just under 350 uh, with 14 home runs. Uh, he showed a lot of pop. He's a young guy still, uh, I believe, only 25 years old. At this point, I really love what I saw from him uh, with York. I think I think he'll make a. Uh, I think he'll be a great option as my everyday third baseman. All right. So I wasn't expecting Castillo. I was really expecting you to take another Somerset guy there. But yeah, uh, a I solid love addition. Kenzer, but it would be too easy. Yeah, that's a solid addition there. So I guess now I'm I'm going to be curious to see if you you picked someone I know for shortstop or not. I don't think you do now. All right. Well, let's let's hear him. Okay. So I went with another York guy. Last okay. York guy. All right. Actually, I have one pitcher who's a York guy. Mm. Actually, damn it. Two pitchers were York guys. Goodness. Anyway. Oh, the lies uh, are piling but, up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know the lies truly are piling up. But my shortstop, uh, I went with Ryan Dent. Uh, okay. Ryan Dent pick. Hit, hit just over 300 at 302 uh, with 10 home runs in 89 games with York. He missed a little bit of time with injury, but... Again, another guy in that revs in that revs lineup full of masters that kind of flew under the radar. I think as far as really good bats that can play shortstop at, in the Atlantic League, I think you won't find too many that are better offensively than Ryan Dent has been. So I I went with Ryan Dent as my starting shortstop. I really like the bat that I got at that position. I looked long and hard at Ryan Dent too, but I was like, nah, I got too many middle infielders to really consider him too much but that is a really nice pick I, I gotta say that uh for me i went ahead and i uh i looked long and hard there's a couple of guys i consider for shortstop and i have a couple of guys that you know are kind of interchangeable but at the end i wound up picking with a guy he was with the road warriors for a bit he landed with the chicago dogs in 2019 mm. and he's been around a little bit but in 270 games, he's racked up 28 home runs. He's racked up a batting average of 278. I like him a lot. I decided to go with Gustavo Pierre as my shortstop. I, I knew I knew who you were going with once. Uh, well, once you said Road Warriors to Chicago Dogs, I'm like, oh yeah, I know who yeah. this is. Well, there wasn't but, too um, many from the Road Warriors to pick from. Yeah, let's let's just, him and Luis Cruz were both good, but yeah, that, that's about it. Yeah. So again, I'm going to continue to just steal from other leagues because that's really what the bulk of my uh, my team is. It's just taking the best from other leagues. And uh, this guy, he's not really what I call uh, a hitter for average. But man, does he just mash the ball. Plus, he seems like a pretty cool dude too. I also made a baseball uh, video game cover with him on it. And so if that doesn't give it away, I don't know what else will. But 50 home runs in about 180 mm. games is just the guy that I need to have on my roster. My first outfielder is uh, Adam Brett Walker. Uh, that is a very, very good pick there. Very good pick there. So uh, the guy I went with, he was uh, part of those mass minor league cuts last year that I thought, you know, he put up really good numbers in AAA. I was surprised he ended up being cut. Uh, but And he was also uh, briefly signed by an Atlantic League team, and that uh, is Cameron Perkins. Uh, the, the the outfielder he had really good numbers in uh, 84 games with AAA Oklahoma City in the Dodgers system he hit 282 uh, with an OBP of 351 and nine home runs in those 84 games I think 
he was originally going to be one of my favorites for player of the year last year uh, if that season had played out uh, with his time in Sugarland. So uh, Cameron Perkins is a guy I'm really high on, still has not uh, been signed anywhere. So Perkins would be my first outfielder. A solid addition there. So who's your uh, your second outfielder then? So my second outfielder, he's a Can-Am guy. But oh, God, I feel like I'm about to lose one of my outfielders. So he's a Can-Am guy, but he's not like a Can-Am guy that a lot of people know. Okay, that may be so, safe. My out, the next outfielder I'm going with is Jalen Jackson. Oh, thank God, my guy's safe. Do you know who Jalen Jackson <laughs> yes, is? Yes, I do. I, I believe he okay. was a Quebec guy. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. So Jalen Jackson is what one may describe as an absolute electric factory. Why? Uh, because he strikes out an absolute ton in double A. Like yeah. uh, he, was, he was with the Yankees system in 2018 in, in Trenton. Uh, at least when I went to watch him play, he would strike out three. He would go one for four with three strikeouts and a home run. So uh, I think in a, a transition to indie ball where guys maybe aren't perhaps aren't throwing as hard. I think he could be a really good hitter. And that's what he turned out to be in Quebec. So at least in Trenton, batting average down around 205. But he did hit 17 home runs in 102 games. And then when he made the move to Quebec, he really started to show what he can do at the indie ball level. He hit 271 an OBP of 360 and 13 home runs in just 58 games with Quebec. I think if you give him a full season, I think he puts up great numbers in indie ball. So you're sacrificing a little bit of defense. He's definitely going to be limited to left field. Uh, however, I am, I am, I'm excited that Jalen Jackson, uh, I'm excited to welcome Jalen Jackson to the squad. That's a really good pick. From what I remember, Jalen Jackson was like one of the few bright spots in Quebec in 19 and yeah. outside of that, it was just a factory of sadness there, which was really weird to see. Because like we said earlier, Quebec's historically been one of the better teams. Like They're mm-hmm. always in the postseason, normally in a championship game, normally winning the championship game. But that is a, that is a really good pick there. So uh, on that note, I'm going to quickly list. Uh, well, actually, I have the, this pick in the next one. So it doesn't matter what order I take them. But they are both former Can-Am guys. One of them still in the Frontier League, so kind of Can-Am. The other one is uh, an American Association guy. And I don't actually come to think of it now. I honestly don't know. He may have been signed. I don't think he is. So if I am wrong and he is signed, then let me know. I have a slew of other guys that I can replace him out with real quick. But I do want to at mm-hmm. least try to squeak him onto the squad here. So far in his career in independent league ball, after playing at Texas A&M, he's batted literally 299, just under 300. He has a uh, 15 home runs. He's been used as a shortstop. He's been used as a third baseman. He's been used as a second baseman. And then last year in St. Paul, he was used as a center fielder. 318 games in independent league ball. I want to try and squeeze more out of him. I want to try and see what he can do in center field. I'm throwing Mikey Reynolds here. I it's coming to me now that he may have been signed. I don't know. I don't think he was. Though. I He wasn't signed, but I'm pretty sure Mikey, I could have sworn Mikey Reynolds was signed. See, the thing that's confusing me here is I know he was originally going to be in high point last year. Then that didn't work out. And then he went to St. Paul. I want to say if he is signed, it's the American Association, which means yes. raw kosher. So if, well, I can't find anything here. So yeah. we'll, we'll go with Mikey Reynolds. Yeah. So as long as he's not an Atlantic League roster, we're good here. Now, 
this is where my first of my major league guys is. So I have four more slots after this guy. He spent some time with the Diamondbacks back in, I believe, 2015, 2013, that general range here. He's been a jackal for the past couple of years. He has done very well in 186 independent league games. He batted 275, 347, 478 on the slash line with 31 home runs. One of the better hitters in the Can-Am League. I'm taking Alfredo Marte as my final outfielder. I, I had to assume. I, yeah. I knew he was coming. Yeah. Uh, so my last outfielder spot, I'm not sure if anybody knows him, mm-hmm. but I'm just looking at minor league, uh, minor league free agents. Here's a guy that really caught my eye. Hope I get this pronunciation right. Um, uh, Rodrigo Orozco. I think that's how you say it. So we'll go with it. Um, he, yeah. So he's a guy that um, he's more he's more of a hit for average guy than a hit for power guy. I think I need one of that considering I have Jalen Jackson in my outfield. So I need to have a nice balance. Uh, and so uh, Orozco in uh, 66 games in Double A last year. Uh, hit 263 with an OBP of 340 with just two home runs in those 66 games. But in 26 games in a quick AAA stint, he hit 305 with two home runs. Now that's the PCL, so in a small sample. But I do think that can show that shows a little bit of uh, what he could possibly do uh, in in the indie ball. So I'm a big fan of this guy. I think he's a good complement to what I already have in my outfield, which is a lot of strikeouts. However, uh, I, I think I, I would like to welcome Rodrigo Orozco as my final outfielder. Very nice. Very nice addition there. And so I guess we round out the starting nine with that heathen position I don't want to acknowledge exists. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, so that I'm, I'm interested to see who you have as that DH there. My DH? Well, I guess, see, I guess he would probably start in the outfield uh, as opposed to Jalen Jackson. Jalen Jackson would probably be a DH, but this guy is one of my favorite players to watch in Somerset. Um, He, I believe is not signed at this point, but it's Ramon Flores. I absolutely love watching Ramon Flores play uh, in Somerset in 2019 in 83 games, hit 308 uh, on base percentage of 392 six home runs before getting picked up by the twins absolutely raked in triple a uh and in the venezuelan winter league this offseason in 35 games out there hit 323 so he can still hit i'm surprised the twins didn't keep him around i'm sure you know he's on the older side so i'm sure that partly had to do with it but definitely want to have ramon flores on my team i gotta have him one of my favorite players i've seen in somerset so uh definitely have to bring him to the team all right, so I hate having to pick a DH to begin with because everyone knows my position on why they shouldn't exist because they're a sin against the game. But seeing as I have to pick one, because that is uh, you know how the roster is constructed here, this guy is technically an unsigned major leaguer. He was in the major leagues last year. He's been in the major leagues for a very long time. This is one of the two guys where I'm like, it's a little bit of a stretch that they were playing the Atlantic League. But then I was like, eh, I've seen some of the other names that have been in the Atlantic League and in independent league baseball. I don't know if he would do it, but it's something that's at least, at least in my mind, plausible. If it gets vetoed, it gets vetoed. I have other guys that I can swap them in and out for, which is important. I know who this is. You think so, hey? Yeah, I who, do. Who do you think it is? Edwin Encarnacion? No. 
It is not Encarnacion. Although he would have been a good pick, I will admit that. Instead, I went with a guy who's no stranger to the NL East. In fact, was a Philly for a little bit. And that's something that's important here because I wanted guys that are either from New Jersey or played for the Phillies or the Mets because, you know, those are probably two of the larger fan bases, Yankees too, I guess, uh, for Atlantic City. I went with Logan Morrison. Nice. Yeah. I thought he was fairly plausible. You know? Yeah, no, Logan Morrison is definitely plausible. Yeah, so I, I picked him there. He could also be a first baseman too, but honestly, I was like, yeah, screw it. He's a DH. Yep, so. I think I, I agree. I think that that's uh, that's a good addition. So, are we doing starting rotation one by one? Or? Yeah, we're going to do the same uh, kind of A B B A type format here for the rotation, and then from there, we're just going to list off uh, everybody else that we have. Uh, okay. So, I guess I'll kick off the rotation and then. Uh, We'll go from there, seeing as you got the, the start for the position players. This is the second guy, and this one is admittedly a reach. I will openly admit it's a reach, and I have other starters that I have in my bullpen that I'll just swap in and then grab a different bullpen hand uh, if we think this guy's a little bit too unrealistic. However, again, he's a New Jersey guy. He pitched at Seton Hall Prep. He pitched for the Red Sox. He technically is a Cy Young Award winner. It's Rick mm-hmm. Porcello. Now, yeah. I could see you saying he's that's unrealistic, and I'd I'd admit that. But let's be honest; he hasn't exactly been good as of late, and he's still unsigned. That is correct, and I don't think anybody's anybody's going to sign him sign him soon. But yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, my first my first pitcher, no stranger to the Atlantic League. Uh, he was really good. In, in Southern Maryland in, a, in just two starts back in 2019. He, he uh, threw 11 innings, just gave up one earned run, and struck out 17 before getting picked up by the Colorado Rockies. He did struggle uh, in AAA, seven po- uh, an ERA of 7.54 in 17 starts out there. But, I mean, Albuquerque's a tough place to pitch. The PCL's a tough place to pitch. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem bringing him back. Uh, my first guy in the rotation will be the lefty, Pat Dean. That's a very, I forgot about him, but that's actually a really nice addition. So this is a guy that Atlantic League fans absolutely know. He's been rock solid for a long time. Uh, and back in New York in, in 2019, he was, re- he was really good once again. Uh, I haven't seen him on a roster anywhere. I don't know. If, I mean, he's now 35 years old, so maybe he's thinking about retiring. I'm going to hope not because I want him in my rotation. Uh, and last year, he had a 285 ERA in 21 starts. He was undoubtedly the York Revolution ace. And by now, if you don't know who I'm talking about yet, I'm talking about Mitch Atkins. Yeah, that's a really solid one there. It took me a second for me to go, who is he talking about? And then when you, as soon as he said York, I was like, oh, it's Mitch. But yeah, yeah that, that's a really solid one. There. If he sticks around, he is definitely one to add there. And honestly, if you wanted to, you could, like, at first I was going to say, you can make him even a player coach, but then I was like, oh, wait, you have Hunting as your pitching coach. So, yeah, that would be, yeah. yeah, so you don't need to do that. But, you yeah, know, that's, that's true. A, I could have done that. Instead yeah. of Tyler Saladino, but yeah. whoops. Yeah, that's life. But That's life. Right, so the next two guys in my rotation will complete the rest of my uh, former major leaguer slots. Both of them have some local relevance. One's a former Met. One's actually born in Pomona, New Jersey, which I was like, oh, maybe that's a mistake on the on the website. Where the hell is Pomona, New Jersey? So then I looked I, up. I, I don't, 
And it's actually just one of those parts of New Jersey that goes by a different name, but is actually part of a different town. Kind of like Tawako oh, okay. is. Yeah, like that. And it's actually part of Galloway, which is right next door to Atlantic City. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, he's unsigned still. Great. He's going to be here. And that guy that I'm talking about, he pitched for the Padres a bit. I believe it was either last year or two years ago now. And that's Brett Kennedy. He was a local guy. I was on the fence between him and one other guy. And I was like, he's local. That means I can promote him. And he's fairly young too. So maybe there's still like some memory of him in the area. So that's definitely one there. And then the other guy I have, uh, fans will remember him. His probably most distinctive mark was the fact that he's from Belfast and he's an Irish pitcher. So some people may know who I'm talking about now. He wasn't god-awful for the Mets, but he certainly wasn't very good. And after the Mets released him, then they picked him up and then they immediately released him or like they traded him to the Dodgers. And then it was a whole weird little circle there around this guy. And once that was all done, he kind of disappeared. So I don't believe he's actually signed anywhere. At least I couldn't find anything of him being signed. So I went with PJ Conlon. Oh, yes. I know PJ Conlon. Yeah. I figured he screamed Atlantic Leaguer. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, So my next pitcher, he was a guy, uh, not not too well known of a guy, but he did sign in Sugarland. Uh, he was a guy I was pretty high on in the signing after looking at the numbers. So why not bring him uh, to Ocean City? So uh, he had a 6.30 ERA uh, in 25 appearance total appearances, 22 starts in Mexico in 2019, which doesn't sound great. But back in 2018, um, in AA, he had a 3.45 ERA in uh, 26 total appearances, including 17 starts. I think if you give him a full year in the Atlantic League, I think he can be really good. Uh, and so uh, that pitcher is Omar Bencomo. Uh, okay. He was signed to play in Sugarland, but now he's coming to Ocean City. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, now, I mentioned before how I um, watched a lot of KBO last season. So mm-hmm. here's a guy that had a lot of KBO success in previous years, but not so much last year and was not resigned as a result. He pitched for the LG Twins of the KBO. Uh, he was a former major leaguer with the Baltimore Orioles, and that is Tyler Wilson. He had a oh. 442 ERA in 25 starts yeah. with the LG Twins uh, a season ago. So he struggled a little bit. Uh, however, um, he had some great success in the KBO the previous two years, and that's a tough league to pitch in. So I think that Tyler Wilson will have a lot of success in the Atlantic League, not to mention former Orioles guy. Uh, that, that also plays well into Ocean City, right over, uh, not too far away from Baltimore. So I think Tyler Wilson's a good addition to my starting rotation. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, the guy that you should have considered going out and trying to get, Logan Verrett. Logan Verrett would have been a nice addition, but Tyler Wilson's, yeah. Tyler Wilson's very good too. But so I guess now I finish out the rest of my rotation here. And we'll cap off the the ABBA type format here. Uh, the first guy we mentioned earlier, he was the second pick in the dispersal draft. We mentioned how he was going to be in Somerset. And if the pitching gurus that exist over in Somerset saw a lot in him, I got to believe that there is something there. And likewise, I sung his praise earlier. I gave you his stats earlier. I mean, he's averaging a strikeout an inning. And he doesn't really give up home runs. He's just a solid all-around guy. Of course, I'm talking about Gunnar Kynes. 
I'm picking him in there. He's going to slide in nicely. He has three major leaguers in front of him. I imagine him as the four option. That's a really deep rotation. Yeah, so, I agree. I think that that's a it's a great signing. I, I love love Gunnar Kynes. And so the last one then freed me up to take a little bit of risk here. Uh, not too much uh, professional experience. He pitched for the minors as a rookie, and that would be Sussex County, and he did very well. He only had 86 innings as a starter, but, I mean, 61 Ks, 25 walks, 6 home runs allowed, a 2.62 ERA. He looked very comfortable on the mound, and so as a fifth starter, I understand the jump going from the Can-Am to the uh, Atlantic League, certainly. But again, I feel like he's insulated enough and my bullpen has guys that I can bump into the starting rotation if necessary. I went with Andrew Gist. Okay. And yeah. the final guy to round out my starting rotation and my final MLB slot. Um, he's a guy who has no Atlantic League experience. However, after watching him pitch for a couple years with the Boston Red Sox, he should be in the Atlantic League. Uh <laughs> He is. He pitched in 2019. He threw 40 innings. Was not very good. A 6.02 ERA. Was a former top prospect that did not pan out. Uh, however, he's a he's a breaking ball that's not too bad. I think could play in the Atlantic League. Uh, he started at the Red Sox alternate site in 2020, uh, and basically he was cut from the alternate site. He asked for his release because it was clear they were not calling him up because he was trying to get an MLB deal. Shockingly, nobody gave him an MLB deal because. He's not very good at the MLB level, but yeah. that doesn't mean he can't be good at the Atlantic League level. And that is the lefty Brian Johnson. That that is going nice to name. he is going to round out my starting rotation. That's a nice round out there. Honestly, so far these are two extremely deep teams, and I'm very interested to see what's going to happen when they get put into the simulation. Uh, at this point, yeah. I think people just want to kind of hear the rest of the roster here. I think we're both at 14 players, so that leaves nine. Uh, slots open left between the bullpen and the bench. Uh, if you want to run through your bullpen and your bench right now, uh, I'll give you the uh, the go ahead to do that. Okay, so so for my bullpen, I'll just run through that real quick. I had um, I had James Pugliese, the former Somerset and York reliever. Nice. I, he's consistently good. Uh, Jeff Kinley as well, a lefty who pitched some in Somerset. In uh, 2020, was really impressive. Had some great numbers in Double A mixed in there as well. A guy who I have is kind of an under the radar guy. Is a long man. He was uh, he's only 23 years old, but was really good with the Adelaide Giants in the Australian Winter League. That is Mitch Newenborn had a 175 ERA in five starts with Adelaide. Mm -hmm. I envisioned him more starting in a uh, long relief role to start the year, uh, but you know injury here, pickup here. You could see him in the rotation. Uh, another reliever, Kyle Martin. Uh, he pitched very well in Japan. Was originally signed to Sugarland. Uh, he pitched well in Japan in 2019. Was very good with AAA Pawtucket uh, in the year before. Uh, so Kyle Martin is a guy I like a lot. Another Martin, Josh Martin. Um, in 25 appearances with Sugarland after getting released by the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs or well the Phillies organization, yeah. uh, he put up a 3.77 ERA. And uh, with Sugarland, I think he's a solid guy for middle relief and a high upside guy as well. I have Jordi Cabrera, who was also signed in New York uh, last year, had a 3.96 ERA in 38 appearances in Double A. And to round out, Brian Clark, the lefty, a 2.27 ERA 
in 45 appearances with high point. Uh, and so that will round up my bullpen. I'm very happy with it. I think it's, I think, it's uh, effective they'll, bullpen. they'll, they'll, they'll protect some leads. As far as my position players, I only had, um, two position players listed cause I didn't know we were doing a DH. Yeah. And so I just have my backup catcher. Uh, and that is, uh, Albert Cordero from the, from the Sugarland Skeeters. Uh, he hit 263 last year in 103 games. He has some good pop, 15 home runs. And so he's going to play more than a normal backup catcher would because Tejeda is probably not going to be behind the plate every day or even three quarters of the games. I'd see them probably more splitting reps with Tejeda being in the lineup, whether that's a DH, whether that's a first baseman. Uh, so I think Albert, uh, so Albert Cordero or Coco, as he's known, uh, will uh, gets the spot as my backup catcher. All right. So I'll go at my, uh, my bullpen now here. And I got to be honest, I really just kind of, plundered a lot of different areas uh all different uh, leagues here keeping with that uh first off uh it's kind of the long man here he could also technically be a starter which is kind of why i wanted him there yeah, he was a three rivers guy then he was actually along with another guy i believe brought into winnipeg and they were cut before the season really got going there and i don't understand why because they're both very good players i went garrett harris he has a, a decent little repertoire. If you're a, a Can-Am fan, you'll kind of remember him. Is all, like, throughout his career stats aren't as impressive, but I think he could work as a long man all the same. Um, other bullpen guys, Garrett Mundell. I also went with 20 saves and 42 and two-thirds innings, 2.32 ERA. Doesn't really allow a lot of home runs, only two. He doesn't really walk too many guys, only 12. He struck out 52. So he's a very good guy. He was used as a closer there. So I like him kind of more as like a seventh inning option there. Uh, I also wound up stealing Jose Jose. He's a guy who pitched in New Jersey. He's a guy who pitched in Sussex County. He's a guy who last year pitched in Winnipeg. And he has a 2.58 ERA. If you're a fan of the show, you remember us talking about him. He is the definition of an eighth inning man. I really like him there. I think he could work in the Atlantic League. He's performed at each level. So, of course, I think he could perform here. Another guy, he was in the Sugarland League. Uh, minor fans will remember him. And now he's in Milwaukee for this upcoming season. He has a 1.67 ERA in 50 or 43 innings, my mistake. 20 strikeouts, two home runs allowed. It's Ryan Newell. I believe he's also purchased by the Rays a bit. And then when uh, they started cutting minor leaguers, he was one of the guys that got cut. But I really do think he could be my closer. I really do like him there. However, the other two guys I wound up... Uh, kind of taking and throwing into my bullpen uh new britain b guy he's a little older so i'm not sure if he's retired or not but at least to my knowledge he's not playing anywhere upcoming a 1.58 era 25 career saves in about 120 innings it's jim fuller i think it'd also be a nice little option there and then a guy who i just kind of like watching him pitch he's got a little bit of pop to him he also can swing the bat too, which, you know, that alone makes me want to put, throw him in there, especially with the new DH rule. He could probably be one of the first guys out of the pen here and make my decision a little bit easier as to whether or not I want to pinch hit. Plus, he also allows me to keep a thinner bench and stock the bullpen with more arms. That's Dylan Brammer. Again, he's a guy who's, you know, thrown a decent little bit of innings in his career, over 400 of them uh, in indie ball. He really only has been a closer in 19, or not even a closer in 19. He was a guy that was um, in the uh, Jackal bullpen there. Uh, Dylan Brammer's the guy I go with there. And then as far as my bench goes, 
I only have three guys on my bench, and now I have to knock one of them out. Uh, I have to go with my backup catcher, who is really the third option here, uh, in Jose Gill. He was in Bridgeport for a little bit. I don't think he's done much in recent years, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? We're going to bring him in as a decent little uh, option off the bench. Also now, uh, as kind of like my one other guy, I don't believe he signed anywhere. He was in Bridgeport for a little bit. Then he became the captain of the Sugarland Skeeters. One of the guys who, joking about his name, actually kind of came to the genesis of this show. He's part of the reason why uh, the show was founded. So I had to get him on the team, seeing as it, it would have been incomplete if I didn't. Anthony Tugboat Giansanti. I had to go with getting him on the team. Plus, that's a character guy right there. You need character guys on the team. It's something that's cliche, but it actually is extremely important. So he's on there. And then the last spot I have is a guy who was a also a blue fish for a little bit. Was a blue crab for a little bit, too. This guy likes the blue team, so we'll have to throw blue into the logo of our Atlantic City Seagulls. And that is Angelus Nina. Okay. Yeah. Uh you said Jim Fuller, right? Yes. Yeah, he's si- he's already signed in New York. Oh, he did? I didn't see that. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, just we'll- this past week. Cool. Then we'll knock him out and we'll go with Jordan Horikawa. He was a guy who pitched in Ottawa for a little bit, pitched in the Frontier League for a little bit. He's normally a starter. He was actually Can-Am League Rookie of the Year in 18. And then he didn't have a great 19, but I believe he got hurt as well. So I want to see if we can't convert him into a bullpen role. So we'll go with him. That sound, I think we both will have very good teams. I know. I'm very interested to put this into the uh, simulation now and see who comes out on top. I, I am too. But unfortunately, we have to wait until like there's actually rosters and whatnot that are complete. So this is going to have to be backburned for about a month, which is very disappointing. You know, Nick, the people got another marathon episode today. I know. I just realized that now. Like I looked down, I was like, oh, wow. We started recording this at like seven and now it's nine. Yeah, happens. I know. I guess with that, that was the end of the Build-A-Team series. I hope you guys enjoyed that, and we'll see uh, whose team was built better, whether it will be the Ocean City Stars or uh, the Atlantic City Seagulls. And so with that, I guess we could kind of go to the plugs and uh, get out of here. So if you want to find links to anything we discussed today, you can do so by going to the website and finding the show notes under the show notes tab where everything that is used in creating the show is listed. You can also find a new article, which I referenced a couple times about the Frontier League disposal draft that should be up uh, after we finish recording this. I'll probably finish that article. So it should be up either late on Friday, so you'll see it already, or it'll be up on early Saturday, so you'll be able to read that after listening to the show. Uh, Also, you could go to the website to find this episode and any other episode of the Indie Ball Report that you want. If you want to follow along on social media, you could do so on on Twitter. You can find the show at Indie Ball Pod. On Instagram, you can find the show at Indie Ball Report and at ALPB underscore news for all your Atlantic League news. And so you can also find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you know, wherever you find podcasts, you can find the show. Uh, that said, do we have anything else left to add? So uh, my one thing left to add today, uh, I kind of hinted at it early in the show, mm-hmm. the Trenton Thunder. I understand you are not happy about how the stuff with the Yankees went down. I'm not saying you should be happy. However, I'm already annoyed at them. 
because of their whole bashing the Atlantic League thing for no reason. Uh, despite the fact they're in a bad summer collegiate league, which is interesting. Uh, and although, listen, I'm happy they got, I'm happy they got rewarded with a, I'm happy they got a triple A team. I will be going to see the triple A team the first weekend because they're playing the Worcester Red Sox. So therefore, uh, I'll be heading down there to watch that. Uh, however, the pettiness is unreal. They're like children. Like it's seriously, like if you have beef with the Yankees, Instead of just taking shots at them on social media, you know, they're just people. You can talk to them face-to-face. Might not work, and it's probably pointless at, the, at, this, at this juncture. But, man, and the latest example, and Nick knows what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm not sure if anyone else knows. Um, basically, the Yankees, as many of you know, are not off to a very good start this season. Still very early, but they're not off to a good start. Uh, and so naturally Yankee Twitter freaks out like they do after every single loss. Uh, and they, they're talking about firing Aaron Boone. And so one person in the comments, and it was a funny comment. They, t- they said, uh, we hereby, uh, option our manager Aaron Boone to the Trenton Thunder. Uh, so we never have to see him again. And the Trenton Thunder responded, no thanks. We're good. Mm-hmm. So, uh, slightly humorous, but honestly, it, it was it is kind of crazy to me how they just cannot get over it um and i'm not saying they can't be upset about how everything went down but all these like random shots at somerset on social media and the and the shots at the atlantic league on social media and, and the shots at the yankees on social media you can type behind a computer screen all you want but at some point you just got to be a man and come out and say it and it's it's getting so ridiculous. Like, how long is this going to keep going on? Like, they're petulant children, and they, they they just can't understand. Maybe fix your field and realize that hey, if the Yankees didn't want to send guys to uh send send guys to Trenton to rehab for more than a year, you know what? Maybe that is part of the problem. Oh, the community of uh, of Somerset County and Bridgewater is more affluent. Like, come on! Like, it's ridiculous at this point. It's Trenton is super annoying with how they've handled this. Uh, No one else has done this. Uh, No one else has done this. I mean, you've seen we've had discussions. We've had multiple discussions with teams Mm -hmm. that have all that have gone through the exact same thing, and none of them have been like Trenton is. And so, listen, Trenton's going to have their fun as a AAA affiliate this year. Have fun having thirty home dates next year and housing guys who may or may not get drafted in like the fifteenth to the twentieth round. Like, have fun with that. And and uh, then you can brag about being the highest level of baseball in New Jersey. Yeah, like I've said it before with them, but like the whole way that they just basically shit on the Atlantic League as like some sort of bush league that never sat well with me. And you know, I I don't like the way they've handled that. I don't like how petty they've been. I don't really think what there is of the Trenton Thunder fan base really likes seeing the their team dunk on the Yankees. I think they're pretty impartial on it one way or the other. And I will admit, they do have some grounds where, you know, if you're picking a place to put a baseball team, Somerset's the better place, partially because the stadium is just outright better and the field's better. And if you're the Yankees, it's like, well, what goes having our double-A affiliate, you know, right next to where the major league club is if we don't feel comfortable sending our players there because they may, you know, get injured on the field that it's no good to us. It's useless to us. And I'm sure the Yankees have mentioned in the past, like, look, this field is not good enough. You need to do something about the field. And repeatedly, not enough was done about the field. And uh, 
like I have some sympathy for them there too because they do have some beef with uh, if you are putting a team in either Trenton or you know Somerset County. Somerset County is going to have more money. You're going to draw more people in there, and especially at night when most of your games are, you're just going to get more people that are willing to spend more money or able to spend more money to go to uh, Somerset as opposed to going into Trenton. That's just the reality of the matter. So I am sympathetic on that front, but they lose a lot of that sympathy when they keep just doing little minor shit. It's like, God damn it, just get over it. Get over yourselves already. You're not that high and mighty. And I'm sorry if you don't like it, and I'm sorry it happened the way it did, and I'm sure it wasn't as clean cut as the Yankees may want it to be, but it sure as shit wasn't without cause. And so I can't really blame them there. And the Trenton Thunder are almost like the exact case of what I heard, I believe it was Josh Schaub say, when he was discussing the whole partnership deal and the whole reorganization of the Meyer Leagues, when he said, these Meyer League affiliates, they they're crying the blues and whatnot, but they don't they're not clean of having blood in their hands either. And you know, that wasn't the context he meant it in. This wasn't the exact way of it, but the overall attitude towards the minor leagues and the affiliated minor leagues, there is certainly a basis for those claims too. And I just seeing Trenton constantly do this is just it gets real old real quick. It's like watching Long Island complain online that they have to go through the same protocols as every other sports affiliate or sports organization in the state of New York. It gets really old really quick. You're not above the rules. Just deal with it. Same thing with Trenton. You got dealt the same hand as what 60 other clubs got dealt. Deal with it. Yep. The rest of them dealt with it. And you could be a lot worse. You could be the Lancaster Jethawks, and that community just doesn't have baseball anymore. You didn't. You had an opportunity to join the premier independent league, the one that's been the shining city on a hill since really it was founded in the 90s, and you decided to spit on that because you didn't get what you wanted, and you thought you could play hardball and maybe secure an affiliate. And it worked for one year, but now you're going to have a draft league where, let's be real, there's not going to be any draw players in that league because either A, they're not going to play in that summer league because they're going to be drafted in June. So why would they join for like a week in between their college season, if that? Or why would they risk playing in a league that, quite frankly, is not going to get any more scouted than any other league? It makes no sense. It's not a great draft league. They had an opportunity to join a real league. They chose not to, and now they can complain more. So I'm I'm kind of over Trenton, to be quite honest. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. It's 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 quite annoying. But and listen, they have great fans down there. They do, and it's not it's not a shot at them. It's just the ownership group is incredibly annoying, and yeah. you would just like I mean, literally everyone else who has dealt in this situation. We talked to Jesse Scaglione twice. Uh, on behalf of Lexington and West Virginia, we're not. And Jesse Scaglione was not happy with the fact that Lexington lost their affiliation. He didn't hide that. But it's like, all right, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to sit around here and just complain and tweet, or are we actually going to do something about it and do something for our fans who deserve professional baseball? And exactly. they said, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do this for our fans who deserve professional baseball. We're gonna build as damn good of a roster as we possibly can, which is what the, exactly what they're doing. We're gonna bring in guys who have, who start at the University of Kentucky, which they did, uh, in West Virginia in, in similar ways. And I believe there's uh, 
Eric Sakula, uh, yep. who went to Marshall, so that's nearby there as well. So, I mean, he's doing the same thing, and they're doing the ownership group's doing the same thing in West Virginia. So, instead of complaining, how about get shit done? And that's and that's what they're doing, and that's what everyone else who has who's lost their affiliation uh, has done or has tried to do. Tri City is is on their way to doing just that as well. And mm-hmm. you're telling me that Trenton has a worse facility than all of those teams? No, they certainly don't. Right, West Virginia was not really in a, in a great spot uh, either because they had low attendance. Um, the ballpark is pretty nice, but I mean the low attendance. They're looking to bring that up, not in like a premier location. And Trenton had all of that, a- and yet all they can resort to is complaining. And now you're in the MLB draft league. So listen, hope they have fun there. They, I mean, I, I'm glad they're a Triple A affiliate for a year. Their fans deserve it, uh, but. You know, it's I'm I'm tired. I'm frankly over it at this point. Yeah, exactly that. I don't got anything really to add. I was gonna go on a little bit of thing about like Wawa having burgers and fries, but quite frankly, this show has gone on long enough, so I'll just save that for another time. So uh, I guess with that said and uh, nothing left to add, uh, you know, until next time, don't forget to uh, play ball. <laughs>